Hello, so this is a new episode of Pints and Pages, and uh, today we are going to be talking to Tony Walters about uh, making movies, um, how he, what he does, how his careers went, different things going on um, with his life currently, and uh, we're just, it's just going to be a discussion that kind of flows through the evening. So, um, my name's Nick, we're at Savini Comics. Uh, second level of bonus points, and um, we're going to go ahead and get started. So, hi, Tony. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. So, I'll start off. I made myself notes. I also have your IMDb. I know. Printed, uh, printed and ready. <laughs> I do. I have notes. So, exactly how did you get started doing movies? So, like seven years ago. I, well, I don't know, kind of goes a little bit back before that. In high school, I created, uh, like, skateboard videos was kind of what I was doing a lot. Um, I fell in love with the camera then, just shooting skateboard videos. We did, we were all kind of obsessed with, like, the jackass era of television at the time. So we would just film a bunch of stupid stuff with our friends. And then we, but we had the ability to kind of edit that stuff. So we would put together we put together videos and then we just go to parties at our friend's house and go put it in and go everybody watch our thing because it's like before <laughs> youtube or whatever um and then uh uh life happened i was in a band for a long time i did a lot of other creative things and kind of forgot about cameras but then i about seven years ago i started a youtube channel called rad entertainment and we started out doing movie reviews and video game plays and we started, I built a little team together, people to help me out with that. Uh, some of my best friends and my current wife but at the time, uh, just a, a friend of mine from high school that we, I brought back into the fold to help out with it. And then we started doing a Walking Dead show where we were just reviewing every episode as they came out. And one of the guests on that show was a friend of mine called Dan Murphy. He owns a production company called H&M Films. Uh, out of Winnemac, and they make horror movies. And with, so, uh, Tom, with Tom, Colin with Tom, Tom. yes. And so I brought him in for an episode. He really, we just all kind of, you know, hit it off really well. And he was like, "Hey, you know, I'm in the middle of reshooting an ending to a movie that they had already done, and asked if we wanted to help out and be part of it." So uh, Rebecca and I went. My wife, uh, um. We went and we were actors in the scene, and then I also uh, helped out with the sound for that scene. And we both just kind of got bit by the bug right then. When we're like, "This is what we want to be doing," but we continued doing the same video game stuff and movie reviews and all that kind of stuff for the channel. We did two years straight, releasing everything from movie reviews, video game plays to vlogging and podcasting, and uh, tried out different like kind of game shows and and just always just kind of throw us at the wall see what stick but in the back of our minds we wanted to be making movies and we were still just chugging along putting out three four videos a week on our youtube channel pretty consistently uh with not getting a whole lot of pro like getting on traction necessarily but everybody who saw the stuff thought that our production value was just way better than than what we sh where we should be at the level of what we were at like, you guys are making really good stuff like you know but not really getting any traction uh so 
we pivoted the whole thing into making movies and quickly started gaining more traction there and getting recognized. And we got picked up for a movie called Kill Valley Kill, um, which is made by Trauma Entertainment and Wretched Productions. And they were based out of Las Vegas. Wretched Productions was based on Las Vegas. And so we shot half of that movie in Las Vegas and half of it in Winnipeg. And it was a huge production that I just got like thrown into to be their uh, director of photography. So I'm the guy filming the scenes, setting up the lights, doing everything uh, for a you know super low budget movie. Like I think the total budget on that film was like ten grand or something. And we made a really cool slasher rock musical, and it was the most fun I'd ever had doing anything. And it was a huge project, tons of actors, tons of effects. Uh, music numbers, like, I mean, just, you know, to just be thrown into the wild, just like, here you go, like, go do this thing. I Like, all I'd ever shot before that was I I directed, a, I wrote and directed a short film called June uh, that sets up on our YouTube channel, and uh, and I helped out a couple of dance movies, but this was the first feature-length thing that I'd done, and then from there, working with those people, met other people and then just movie after movie after movie and I, I couldn't tell you how many projects i've been involved in since then um but since then rad entertainment now we just strictly do movies and music videos and under our production company we've only done we've done two movies now um idol girl which was directed by rebecca and uh, Parallels, which is a Condog Films, is the main production company on that. Um, they're based out of Tennessee. And then we came onto that production uh, as producers, and and uh, I was the cinematographer for that, and uh, Beth was an actor in that. And we, that's that's the probably the biggest, that's probably the best thing that we've made so far, as far as just the amount of heart and soul and just quality that we put into it. I mean, I think that would be. I think it's, it's it's a great movie. We just played Indie Popcon. Uh, Daniel won Best First Time Director on that one. Uh, so, super great. Rebecca had won First Time Director, Best First Time Director for Idol Girl. But I, last year, directed two feature-length movies. Um, my first features of me directing. I directed them, and I was the director of photography for both of them. Um, one's called The Undesirables, which will hopefully be released in the spring. And then... Um, Macabre Mountain, which comes out later this month. So you didn't have any sort of like background? No, not really. I mean, I mean, I just I just messed around with with cameras, and I I'm I'm a tech guy by nature. I mean, I own a computer repair store here in Lovensport, and um, I in high school was the the friend that people brought their stuff to to fix or or download movies illegally or. Yeah, I was gonna say, I think, yeah, I've learned that from you, Dad. Yeah, so, I think we've all dabbled in that a little bit. I, I wouldn't be a rock star for a long time. I mean, I was the lead singer in a band for a while, and we uh, that was the direction I wanted to go in. And then when the band fell apart, I was kind of lost for probably like five years, five, six years of just kind of wandering, trying to figure out what creative outlet I wanted to pursue because I'm not the kind of person that can just go to work and come home. I have to have something I'm, I, that I feel like has purpose, uh, you know, even if it's just, you know, making stupid movies with my friends and, you know, nobody really gets to see them, but us, I mean, that's fine. I like, I, 
I would love, I mean, we are definitely getting a lot of traction with this stuff and, and we're getting to a point where I'm getting paid to make movies, you know, and that's fun and awesome. And it's a bonus to be able to make some money doing it. Uh, it can make things a little bit easier to, to dedicate your time to something that way. But, um, but no, I didn't have any real background in it. I just, I'm self-taught completely. Um, but I, I am a person who I don't have ass things. I, if I, if I'm going to do something, I, I really do put my all into it and my all from, from, from an artistic perspective. And then from also just like a, like, if I tell you I'm going to make your movie, it will happen and it will get done. Like I, I never, I've never backed out of a project. I've never, I've, I've, I've always stand by everything that we make. I mean, I, I, I study filmmaking on a regular basis. I, there, there's not a day that goes by that I haven't read an article, watched a video. I, if you go to my store, you'll see next to my desk are stacks of filmmaking books. Like I read constantly. I, 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 is a, it is a, it is a passion of mine that I don't take lightly. And I constantly am trying to better myself every single day. Every project that I do, I try to make sure the next one is better and better visually, better storytelling, better like actors, just constantly trying to build a better team all the time. If I get, sometimes I'll just take an ad and go, Oh, there's somebody in Tennessee who's making a movie and they need a guy to come set up lights and yeah, I'm directing movies now, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to go just go do this small job here because any set that I can get on, I meet people and network and yeah. and bring those people onto my team. Like we, our team that we have now is the most solid team that we've ever had, and we we knock we knock shit out. We are good at what we do, and we we people are you know recognizing us as like oh you guys want to get a movie made? These are the guys that will come and make that because. Because we're hard workers, we 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 love what we do. The I watched Idol Girl. Um, I started to watch. Uh, I got through what I could of parallels. Um, both I thought were visually very very well done. Very well done. I very I only got to see Idol Girl, and uh, I thought it was fantastic. I very much enjoyed it. I had a couple questions about it, but I mean that story wise, which obviously you didn't really write. I didn't write the story. The story was written by uh, Jaron Spencer and Rebecca Erb, who um, uh, collaborated on that story. And that movie was supposed to be... That was right after the pandemic. That, we shot that in 2020. Um, like, it was right when things started opening back up again in Indiana. And you know, everybody's like, you can go do stuff again. And we're like, cool, we're going to try to squeak a movie in here right at the end of the year. And so the original concept for that film was, let's do a 20-minute short. And we wrote pages, and those pages kept going. And then we had a forty-five page script, and I was like, "That's when you when you rule of thumb is it's a page a minute is what it's going to be on your runtime." <laughs> and we had only scheduled four days to film that movie, but we never changed that. So we shot that. It's a forty-eight minute movie, and we shot it in four days. That gives a lot of light, also, on my questions too. So that makes that yeah. Okay, wow. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. That movie was a marathon, man. That was, was going to say, even not know much. Holy shit. <laughs> one of those, one, out of those four days, one of those days was 24 hours straight. We were, we were crawling into bed and our alarm clock went off for us to get up to start the day as we were like getting into bed. And it was just like, 
sudden, <laughs> like, like we pushed, we pushed call time by two hours so we could take a nap before we went back out and just and did it again. It was, it was a, that's it was a super dedication. intense. It was a super intense thing. We had, we had a, the car that she drives in that movie, that Red LeBaron. Yeah, that thing broke down the entire time that we were filming. So we were battling that. That the last, the very last thing that we shot was when the car stops on the side of the road and the two characters get out and kind of yell at each other and we get back in the car. That's the very last thing that we shot. And right after we shot that, we had to hop in the car and drive back to the house. And if you let off the gas, it would start to die. So we had to we blowing through red lights. Like we just, oh, it, <laughs> like we drove that thing back to the house and it died as we were like on our street. We coasted into the driveway. Jesus. <laughs> I do have a question uh, with that. Um, how did you guys do the gas pump scene where she drags the handle with her? I mean, I imagine just a prop or something. It's super easy. Um, uh, Dan Murphy uh, came on as an assistant director. I think it was what his role was for that. Um, he works at Napa. And so he just got, like, they sell <laughs> gas pumps and hoses. Oh, okay. So he rigged us up something, and he's literally just, I mean, we took their gas pump off, put his gas pump on it. He's standing off frame, just holding the other end of that hose, and she pulls out and he just lets it go. Okay. We didn't, there was a lot of running gun filmmaking in that movie. We didn't really, with that particular scene, we hadn't talked to that gas station. We just went out, we just went and shot that. So when she gunned it out of there, there was a lady who was like getting gas, and was like yelling at her. Like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> like, I think, look, in the behind the scenes of that, there's a, a woman who's like yelling in the background. That's pretty funny. That's hilarious. Also, just because I know you explained it off uh, the podcast, uh, the squid that you guys used for the gunshot on that. Just because I only know the uh, gunpowder squibs, I didn't know there even was an air squib. Yeah, so it's a, it's just like a tube of blood. Like it's just a you know rubber tube with um, like we just you fill it full of blood and it's hooked to. What is a fire extinguisher? Is what it is. Oh, it's just a, a fire extinguisher that's just compressed air inside of it, um, and you just squeeze that handle and just just launch it right out the end. Uh, it's Derek Worley did the special effects on that, so he did the zombies and uh, and yeah. So you have a uh, somebody you have like a team that does special effects and does makeup and all that stuff. We don't have a team specifically, but we have uh, we have a, a handful of people that we reach out to for that. Okay. And uh, right. we got, um, yeah, we're at the point now where we have most of our bases are covered. We've got people in every position. So, like, you got like people who do beauty makeup, and then you got people who do like the horror stuff. Are those people that you've just found over the years? Yeah. Like, you've just networked and connected. They're not necessarily in Logansport or. Most of the people that we work with aren't. There's a couple of people in Logansport that we work with, um, but most of the people that we work with, like, my, my main. Um, uh, like AC uh, assistant camera. He lives in, I think he lives now in Kentucky technically, but he's like right on the like Kentucky, Indiana, Ohio border, like all three of the states. Oh, okay. He, he, he lives over there. Uh, Roman Joe Sark, Studio 605. He, yeah. uh, I saw, I've seen, I saw that on a couple of different things, Studio 605. Yeah. He, he's been making movies longer than we have and he's, uh, He's in a band now with Tom Commissar. They're in a band called Slasher Boy. Check them out on Spotify. Oh. They did like horror, horror punk rock stuff. Oh, okay. All right. All right. I noticed most of your movies kind of gear towards horror. Is it easier to make an indie horror than it is to make an indie like comedy or a, or a drama? I think it's a it's a it's an odd boat because I think that all of the things are hard to make. 
Comedy, I would say for me personally, is a hard thing to make, but I think for some people it comes really easily. I do, I would argue that when it comes to editing, that editing a comedy and editing a horror film are the exact same style of editing. Um, I think that there's a way that you cut a punchline into a scene is the same way you cut, you cut like a, like a, like a, you know, somebody getting shot or, oh, yeah. or like some kind of blood squib or, 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 you know, big gag like that is yeah. the same kind of editing style that you would do. But, um, I think a lot of people jump into horror because it can be done on a low budget and it can, action's the hardest one. Like an action movie is hard because it, it requires people to know what they're doing. Uh, and that can be expensive stunts, and, and, and yeah. just filming stunts and filming action scenes. Filming yeah. fight scenes <laughs> is hard. Um, We've done a lot of that though too. Uh, in Kill Dolly Kill, there are two fight scenes in that movie. One is a full-on wrestling match fight scene that is uh, like legit two wrestlers. Uh, Mikey Wild uh, is the choreographer for that, and he's in the scene. He uh, has wrestled with um, Cal. Oh, okay, like, Cal uh, Hero that came with Al Snow. Yeah. Okay. So, um, like, they know each other, but he, but. Uh, Mikey's awesome, and but he he did a he did a scene in that movie, and then another scene that was the scene we shot in Winnipeg. The scene we shot in Las Vegas, we had a dojo that put together a whole fight choreography scene, and then the day before we filmed it, I showed up at the dojo with just my my phone and filmed the fight scene, like, and I'm like in the fight, like chore- you know, choreographing where the camera's going to be for each of the punches because I'm a fan of like the John Wick style of action so everything in my mind should be as in one shot as you can and in and, and shot wide and these guys were all good at what they were doing so i was like i'm not gonna have a bunch of cuts where you're cutting around all the punches like these guys are awesome and know what they're doing so it makes it look way better yeah, let's see it. and uh, that was my first time trying to shoot something like that i think it turned out pretty good uh in the scene and it's it's a funny scene though too so it's like it's got com- that whole movie's really funny but um it's got comedy and action throughout it uh, but as far as most people jump into horror, and I don't know why it's so approachable, it, but it really is. It's, it's there's so many different types of horror you can do, and yeah, I think it's an easy thing for for people. At least they think it's easy. I think everything's hard because once you do it, you realize what you've done wrong and why it's not scary. Because you can make a slasher like with your friends, and you know, it's a, slasher concept's easy. You got a bunch of kids together. One guy's killing them all. Like it's not yeah. like a, it's kind of a really in depth story, and you see, you get a lot of those. You get a lot of slasher stuff, and they can be done really well though too. You can do that differently and make it done well, but but you do get a lot of people that do that, and a lot of people grow up on that stuff too. Yeah, it seems that most of the independent movies seem to veer towards the horror side. That's just I don't know if that's just because. That's what it feels like. like Our fan base seems to be way more willing to watch a lower production or a maybe not a yeah a triple A title. That's a very good point. the The horror fan basis definitely appreciates a super low budget uh, yeah movie. Well, like like somebody who people who are into action movies are into you know Fast and Furious and and like like Marvel movies and those big just big spectacles. Don't get me started on this. Uh, but they, you know, that fan base is, grew up watching indie horror already. Like right. Halloween, you know, like Nightmare on Elm Street. Most movies are low budget indie horror. Yeah, technically, Friday the Thirteenth, the first Nightmare on Elm Street, probably was probably the biggest budget out of all of them. But definitely Halloween one and two were definitely low budget. Um, yeah, and and. Uh, 
Yeah, Evil, Evil Dead. Dead. Evil yeah. Dead's a yeah. great example. Sam Raimi did all yeah. his stuff low budget. Uh, the first few Romero films, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 It's all that stuff is really inspiring. Like for, for me, the movies that made me want to make movies, there's kind of three movies that made me want to make movies, which is um, Reservoir Dogs by Tarantino. That movie made me think about filmmaking in a way that I never looked at before, which was like, that movie is about a jewelry heist and you don't ever see the heist in the movie. It's just all, it's just the aftermath of it. Right. Which I thought was genius on like, how do you take this thing that could be really expensive and make it cheaper? Well, you just cut out the thing. Like you don't need to see that. The movie's not about it. And then uh, Clerks, uh, Kevin Smith's Clerks made me go. I can make a movie. I watched it and went. I can do that. A lot of a lot of us saw Clerks and went. I think I can do that. Yeah, a lot of us saw like a lot of us saw it and thought. I think I've already been in that. Like I think that's I think that's part of my life. I managed a gas station for four years. Worked in gas stations for eight years. So clerks hits home with me like in a really weird way because like those jokes land like really hard with me, but. But that movie made me go. I can put my, I can put people in front of a camera and just have them talk because the clerks is just here's two, three, four people just stand in front of a camera and they talk. There's no like cross cutting between it all. They're usually just all this one shot, kind of a conversation. And I was like, I can do that. And then uh, the movie that made me though go, I want to do this uh, and I want to do it differently and 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 push push the limits of what we can do is the Matrix is a movie that uh, oh, yeah. I think changed cinema really drastically and brought like brought like asian uh like fighting and 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 that choreography and everything into the american like space that wasn't you know those movies like were always like kind of grindhousey kind of like the bruce lee stuff was still and you know bruce lee himself was in the mainstream but all those movies and all that era of all that kung fu stuff was like and if you into it you're into it but it wasn't exactly mainstream the matrix made it go hey this this is this whole style of fighting and and just action and as a whole, how we're going to shoot it yeah. has changed everything. It, it, it even changed a lot of video games. Yeah, first person shooters. It kind of there was an entire like decade of where everybody focused on bullet time mm-hmm. and slow mo and video games. Oh, yeah. all because of that movie, Max Payne being a big one. Yeah. Off the top of my head, I love this. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's a that's a good point. They um. So you cinematography and directing. Mm-hmm. This is my big hang up. What's the difference between the two? So as a cinematographer, if I come onto a project and a director like I, I like a director hires me to, to shoot that movie. <clears throat> my job is to try and capture what's in their head. So my job is to get into the director's head as much as possible when it comes to the theme of the movie, the style, like colors, lighting, like do, do we want it to look really dramatic? Do we want it to be, you know, high key, low key, as in like brighter or darker? Like now everything's low key, like, um, you know, the Batman being the most low key you could probably get and not, you know, be completely dark, I guess. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, I, I'm very, very little light. Yes, very, very, very low light. light. Uh, uh, as cameras have become digital cameras now, uh, you can shoot low light easier than you could on film. So we we are they're really pushing the boundaries of how low you can shoot a movie. I do think that there's a level that's too low, and the Batman is. Much, I think it's an absolutely gorgeous film, 
uh, but I can't watch it at home because that's, it's too bright in my the sun. I can't, if you ever watch it, it's going to be like at 2 a.m. And the, oh, the lights have to be off. It's a three-hour movie. I'm going to fall asleep. <laughs> yeah, you're talking about the new one with, yes, with yes. Pat. Yeah, that's right. Wrong. Yeah, I work second shift. Yeah. I can do that. <laughs> but uh, I, I don't know if you've listened to the podcast, but that's my... Uh, that's my go-to airplane movie. Oh, the Batman? So, yeah, I put my headphones in. It's a three-hour flight to Phoenix. That's usually <laughs> where our layover is when we're going to California. And I watch I watch Batman on oh, my nice. phone. And, uh, yeah, that's my that's like but, my go-to. But so as, as a cinematographer, like, your job is to capture what's in the director's mind. Now, I would say that my style of cinematography makes its way in every movie that I make. You know, I mean, every movie that I've been a cinematographer for, I think that if you were to watch them all, you would see my style across all of them, despite them being different directors for almost every project I've worked on. Um, and and that just comes that comes because of the level of production that we're doing. Uh, I work with a lot of first time directors that that trust my vision on stuff, but the director's job ideally is to do. Two big things, which is two big things, and those are two very broad strokes and things. But the, the, there's pre-production, which is one giant chunk that the director is has their hands in every single aspect of that, which is the story from the, from the script, which is the most important part of any movie. Uh, just uh, our, our motto at Rather Team is story first. Um, the the story you have to have a good foundation. So so from that point. To costuming, to casting, to every you know, every single the music, every single decision, the director talks with every single head of that department and to get them all in his head or her head to be like, this is the vision that I've got, and talks to everybody and trusts their interpretation of that vision. And then when you're actually filming the movie, you're on set, the director's job should only be to direct those actors, to get the performance out of the actors that they want in that moment, in that scene. And they shouldn't have to worry about all those other things because they put in their work ahead of time, talk to all their heads of departments. So all on set, everybody's doing the job that they were given pre-filming. And then, and then you, know, you just have to build a team that you can trust. Because if you have a team of people that maybe you don't trust, then you're doing a thousand jobs on set and you're trying to direct a movie. And that sucks. We've all been there. Uh, because it's the indie world, you wear a lot of hats. A lot of people are doing more than one job all the time. Maybe. Um, but for me, I pull double duty when I direct a movie. I usually direct and I'm a cinematographer. And it's really because I'm I'm still kind of hunting for a cinematographer that has kind of my style. And it's just because I've been doing cinematography for so long. So I, I know what I want. So it's just easier for me to just do it. You know? just do it. But I do think that sometimes, especially in the two movies I just made, um, I'm in the editing process of that. I'm editing both those movies as well. Uh, while I'm editing it, there's just moments where I'm just like, ah, I wish I would have pushed for you know like the performance on this. But my mind's on camera equipment and like you know when we're doing a walk and talk, and you know we're like walk tracking down the hallway with two actors that are talking. It's like, am I paying attention to that performance, or am I paying attention to get them both framed up? And I'm walking the way that I need to walk to make sure the camera's not moving all over the place and like getting all the technique down. And, and if I had enough takes that I could lock in that movement and then start worrying about the, the performance a little bit more. That's one thing, but in the indie world, you never have enough time for anything. So is it, is it, is it, do you wear a lot of hats because of budget constraints? Yes. Or just because of lack of participation? Both. Okay. Both. I, I, 
Like, is it just hard to find people to help or hard to find people that want to help? We live in Indiana. So we do live in Indiana. You know, no, so, no, nowhere. So there, there is a difficulty sometimes with filling particular positions, but we've been doing it long enough now that a lot of our heads of departments are full, but sometimes the head of department is the department. So like, um, like my camera department, I've got Roman who's, he's in charge of that camera department. Uh, he's my, he's my assistant camera. So he's setting up, he's usually pulling double duty. He's assistant camera, but he's also my gaffer and, and my grip. So he's setting up lights and, uh, he's pulling focus for me too. So like I'm on the camera, but we have wireless focus system. He's going to monitor. So he's the one actually pulling focus on this one last thing I got to worry about. Um, so he's pulling, he's wearing a bunch of hats where normally he would be the head of that department. And then there would be guys that he would then instruct to be setting up lights while he's setting up other stuff and gets them together. And sometimes we have people for that bigger, the movie we just, we just did with cop mountain. That movie had a, like a $120,000 budget. So we had, we had people, we had people work. That was, that was, the, that was the most smooth I've ever had a production, despite it still being very running gun and very, uh, you know, not enough time to shoot the scenes. Like when we were shooting at the first three or four days of that movie, we were shooting 16 pages a day. And in the, like a Hollywood movie, you would probably you'd shoot like one to three pages a day. Oh, wow. And, okay. and, and Idle Girl, we were shooting, and there was 48, you know, it was 48 minutes, and it was like roughly 45-ish pages. Uh, we were shooting, you know, what is that? It's like, you know, it's 10, at least 10 pages 10, a day. 10, 10, 10, 10 12 day. pages a day. <laughs> you know? So that's a question I have. You said in the indie world, you don't have time to do stuff. You don't have a lot of time. And my, my immediate thought process was you guys don't really have a due date necessarily because typically you guys don't, you're not like a bigger production, say like Marvel is like, this is coming out right. now. When, when I say I don't have enough time, the reason we don't have time is because it's because of how much of it costs. So okay. we, we, we don't have the budget to allow us more time. So every person on set, we're paying to be there. You know, I mean, we try to pay everybody, you know, entry level positions. You're usually like intern kind of people that are, you know, helping out for the day. We do have friends that just will donate their pay and just say, put it in the production, you know, stuff like that too. We, we, we definitely pull as many favors and strings as we can and make things as cheap as we can. But on set, you know, if you have actors there, you're paying them all to be there. You're paying, you're renting camera equipment most of the time. Uh, you're paying sound people. You're paying, uh, um, you know, if you're lucky enough to be a director that's getting paid to be there, you know, that's awesome. Um, but you're paying catering, uh, 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 lodging, places people sleep, you know, hotel rooms, all that stuff. If you add another day, then I won't go ahead a $6,000 budget for four days of shooting. You know, if we had another day, that's like another, another thousand bucks, another two thousand bucks to, to add another day. You know, we just have it. So you got to cram everything you can into that time space because you can't afford another day. You don't uh, make people sleep on your floor in your living room. We, no, we do sometimes. <laughs> we don't really do that much anymore, but we definitely did do that. We definitely okay. started out yeah. with that. Uh, yeah. Parallels was that. Parallels, um, parallels, we on the Logan Sport shoot of parallels. We, the entire, the actors, I think, had hotel rooms, but the whole crew slept on my floor. So, okay. <laughs> well, we have a really big house at that time, so we, 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 so we, worked out. we had plenty of space for everybody. It, it was, worked, it worked yeah. out. If they slept on the floor right now, we have a tiny little one, like, two-bedroom house, like, it'd be pretty tight right now. 
And I'm currently sleeping on my own floor because my we have a one year old who's now kicked us out of our own bed. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just easier to sleep on the floor. It's easier to just sleep in the living room. I know that um I know that Brad likes to do props and costumes. Yeah, yeah. I like to replicate things from movies. Like yeah, I've always kind of had a you know an interest in that and it's like it's cool to hold what you see in a movie in your hand so i'm like i'm kind of curious as like how do you guys approach that with props for us um usually we kind of put that into the special effects department's hands Mm -hmm. and some and it all depends on what it is that we need sometimes they'll make it from scratch sometimes uh they'll just buy things or or and and when they buy things they try to buy things from other artists and not strictly like you know buying toys or whatever. But that happens sometimes too. But sometimes we'll buy like airsoft guns for a scene, and then the special effects department will paint them up and make them look like real guns. Okay. Um, uh, so we do with with the prop stuff. It really depends on what it is. We, we've not had to make anything that was like really outlandish. It's usually like, um, like I'll have like a kitchen knife. And we'll have one that's metal, but it's blunt. Mm-hmm. And then we'll have one that's foam and a full one, and then one that's a half blade, and then a half blade that's foam and a half blade that's metal. And so, just depending on the shot, what is needed for that scene. Because, um, like, there's a scene in my short film, that first short that I did called June, where I mean, this guy gets stabbed so many times. <laughs> he yeah. should have been dead. Yeah, uh, I watched that one. You yeah. watched that one, right? Yeah, yeah I get yeah. to see Shout that out one. to Adam Gundrum for the creepy music. Yeah, yeah. 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 I enjoyed that one. He get, he might still have some, but he he put that out. He released that whole score. Yeah, yeah. Um, How many people worked on June? On June, that was that one was very like, let's see if we can make a movie kind of a thing. Yeah. So that was me, Rebecca, Dan. Um, and then I had Don Perkins for one day on set. We that was a two day shoot. Had Don Perkins one day running sound and uh, uh, Brody Z on the second day doing sound. Ezekiel Vasquez, he's a musician, he goes by Brody Z, but uh, and had him do sound on the second day. Um, and I think that was it for that whole crew. I mean, that whole movie was there wasn't we didn't really have I, I did stop lights for some of the stuff. Uh, but that was mostly just, I mean, all in camera, like just figuring it out. Just that was my first try, right. like trying to do something serious. Well, it, it was, you know, for as short as it was, there was a, kind of a lot of story for you to kind of assume in there. And then, like, I, I at the end of it, I got back to thinking that the high speed shot where she's shooting, like, she's just running through all the cabinets and mm-hmm. like, like what's going on, and then you figure out what the heck she was looking for in the end. You know that the that part is probably my favorite part in the short, and it's like a time lapse. Yeah, and it's a time lapse with like very specific camera settings to make her blur out as yeah. she's around because that's just like like it was just a, a technique that I wanted to do in it, so I looked up how to do it, and we and and it's also being pushed in so that the camera is on a tripod and it's on a piece of cardboard on the kitchen floor. I was, I'm on the floor scooting that cardboard forward okay. for like 20 minutes or whatever. Just, yeah. I, I go through all those cabinets while I'm just pushing that. So how, yeah. how long was this scene compared yes. to how long the actual I mean, footage shot? The, the footage, the footage is like 20 minutes. I think is what it is. It's roughly 20 minutes for like however long it is. Like yeah. Like 60 seconds, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Wow. Okay. So he, for he's tied to a chair the whole time. Just yeah. It, yeah. 
<laughs> it was good. It looked good. And then the punch looked really good, too. That She gave one really good wallop in there. I thought that was fun. Yeah. Yeah, this that I that that thing I I did that short. That short is on a DVD set uh, called um, I think it's just Horror Mayhem and Madness, which is HMM Films. It's Horror Mayhem and Madness Volume One. I think it's maybe what she's called. And that is a DVD of um, of shorts. Yeah, uh, he reached out to a bunch of uh, filmmakers, and we all did a short that the. Uh, the, the, the anthology is called Snuff Party. And so they all had to be snuff films. And I'm not like a big fan of like that genre. Yeah. Uh, which is in the movie, they, which he puts in yeah. the majestic, there's the, that's the snuff film. Well, and I thought that if that's, that was your requirement, then you guys kind of put it in a good place. And that, I didn't good shoot work. that or direct that or anything. Yeah. That was done by Dan for another project that got scrapped. And so he gave me that footage, uh, for me to use within my short just to meet that criteria. Yeah. I told him, I was like, I told him what my idea was. And he was like, Oh, that's really cool. I've got something if you want to use it because he'd just been sitting on it for a while. I was like, Hey, might as well yeah. use it. So when you got together with Dan to do Dan, he was already making films. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Dan was de- definitely a great, um, uh, guide into all that stuff. Like when I was shooting June at one point, he just kind of pulled me aside and he was like, where are you cutting to from this scene? What is the next shot? And it was just something that I, because I was just kind of shooting a bunch of stuff and he was trying to keep track of all my shots to make sure I had everything to make the scene. Because when you're shooting stuff, sometimes you're shooting, you know, most of the time, especially nowadays, but at that point, I was trying to shoot in order as much as I possibly could. But, uh, but you know, we shoot out of order completely. So you have to make sure that you're getting those pieces. And it just clicked in my brain like, oh yeah, I'm not really thinking about the edit. I was just, shooting all the stuff and not thinking yeah. about necessarily how it cuts together yeah. at the moment. And then like when he mentioned that to me, that was just it's just always been a thing that has stuck with me now forever. I mean now I've just done enough stuff so now it's just natural. I don't want really to think about it. I just know it. It's there. But, yeah, I couldn't even imagine going through that process of having to figure out where to film and how this is going to edit later. Um I I would I would have to sit on a set and watch well there's there's like two ways of filmmaking really um that are like two 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 methods of filmmaking that i think most people start out in one which is shoot as much coverage as you can every angle you possibly can if you have the time shoot close up medium wide like you know flip the room shoot this direction and that direction to shoot as much as you can and then in the edit you're like Okay, I want to start with the wide and we're going to punch the close up on this line. And now we're going to like jump our 180 because it's like impactful for this moment or whatever. Like you're, you're figuring it out in the edit, which is an expensive way to shoot and a very time consuming way to shoot because you're just shooting everything without real direction. Um, And that is definitely a way to do it. That's uh, kind of how Spielberg does movies and has always done stuff as they just shoot the coverage of the scene or he'll just walk in. He he doesn't doesn't plan it anymore because he's just been doing stuff forever. He'll just walk... He's the first guy to show up on set and he sits on set and he'll bring... Sometimes he'll bring stand-ins or his actors and they'll just kind of walk through it and he'll figure it all out right then and there. Okay, we're going to start with a wide, we're going to move into this and he'll, he'll shoot just what he needs but I'll figure it out on the day. Um, I like to, I shoot for the edit. I know what that scene is going to look like already. I've either, I've already thought it through 
or storyboarded it out or just written out shot for shot what what each thing is. Sometimes I have scenes like very well planned out. If it's a fight scene or something that's going to require a lot of that, like I know what we've already rehearsed it, already already shot it with just stand-ins and stuff like months before because we so that way we know what it's going to be. Or I kind of some for a lot of, a lot of undesirables. I planned out some of the big moments, but some of the small moments in the movie, some of the just between two characters talking, I hadn't necessarily planned it out. So I would show up to set first and read through the script and just start writing down the shots. And and now that I've been working with the actors for a few days, like kind of it spawned new ideas because I'm like, oh, they're way better than like maybe I thought they would be for the scene. So now it's like, I, I bet you we could try something different, like that I originally had. You know, like it's always changing. Like you had, you had, you can. Plan and plan and plan and plan and plan and plan, which is always recommended. But on the day, you can throw that plan out still. I mean, right, right. Because you, you like, you like. I planned for six hours to shoot this. I've got one. So uh, yeah, you know, because because if you're running behind, things change throughout the day, and you will run behind. It's just so when you're so okay when you the process of going through a movie because this is this has fascinated me too. It goes from a, a like. A writing a story to a script to a screenplay or yes and no depends on the writer that you're working with for me i i have I, i've written a lot of shorts i've not written a feature um but the two features i directed i for undesirables which is like undesirables is my story i i had all these characters in mind i had a story i wrote like a four page treatment of what that outline of the movie looked like. I gave it to a friend of mine who's a writer. He kicked back like a 90 page script or it's like, a, like the total pages that would be like 110 pages or something like that. He, um, he shot me back some other ideas to add to the story. Um, one, one being a very major impactful decision that was not one of my decisions. It was his, which is that in undesirables, there's a kind of a children of men scenario where there's not been a child born for like the last 20 years so that's the dystopian future that we're in is there's no children and that is a very heavy plot to the entire film and that wasn't in my original draft of it or in my original like my my uh treatment that i wrote out but that's what i did for that one um and then macabre mountain already had a script when we got brought onto the project uh but we had um, a lot of we had a lot of things that we needed that had to be added to the script uh, in order to make it possible for us to shoot it. Uh, so we had to, had to do a complete like rewrite of the entire thing. And I used the same writer that we did with Undesirables, Michael Taylor. Um, I so I, I contacted Michael and my uh, another writer, Jake uh, Baker, and I brought them together. I was like, "Hey guys, we have the script. We're shooting in like." I think at that point we had like 60 days before we were shooting. And I was like, we need to rework the script to fit in X, Y, and Z, all this other stuff that we had. And so uh, we reworked the whole thing as a team. Uh, and then it went from there. But that one came, that one started with the script. So like the, the idea is like, you know, story script, screenplay, you know, and then like you could even, you know, you've also got like a shooting script sometimes too, which is like this is the script the actors get. This is the script that we're actually shooting on the day. So it all depends on who you're working with and how they operate. Um, for us, for me personally, it's usually 
bouncing ideas off a wall for an eternity. And then I'm like, <laughs> yeah. And then uh, right now, right now I'm working, I'm right now working on two scripts and I'm determined to write them. I, I, I love Michael and his writing. Um, but I, I want to, the next feature that I do, I want to have written the whole thing myself. Too. Okay. So are you going to write the story? So you're not just writing the story. You're writing all the dialogue for all the characters and everything. For this one, yeah. And I and the way that I've I've been working the story is it's overall like thematically about grief, but I'm I've I have a I have a, a an interesting concept that spawned the idea, and then I this this is a movie that's been in my head for like man, I mean a decade. I don't know. It's been before I was making movies. I've been thinking about making this movie. So, uh. So I have this initial concept that I had, and then over the years, I've just been adding all these other things to it. And I've been writing all those things down or recording them on a recorder. And it's always have random ideas for this one particular project. And here recently, I've started using ChatGPT uh, to funnel all my ideas into an outline. So I'm a like firm believer of using the technology that we have at our disposal, especially in the indie world. Now, I'm not a huge fan of like the AI generated art stuff, but I do very much see a purpose for it, especially in filmmaking. And we can dive into that if you want to. But for this particular reason, I just take chat, I use ChatGPT a lot to like just consolidate ideas. I'm just like, this is what happens in this scene, this is what happens in this scene, this is what happens in this scene, and then these characters come together, and then this and this and this and this, and all this stuff happens, and then I'm like, put that into an outline, and it just goes, boop. Here's that one. I'm like, cool. Can you add this to the outline? Cool. It's just like having a secretary or somebody, you know what I mean? To just like spew ideas at, and then they're just like putting it into beat by beat. This is where it belongs in the story structure. I'm like, and then and I just keep feeding it more information. And sometimes I'll be like, here's a really graphic, violent scene that you need to add in this. And ChatGPT will go, okay, but before I add it to the scene, I need you to know that this is a really delicate topic and you need to approach this <laughs> with like like gentle hands. I'm like, oh, yeah, I know, but just put it in the seat. It's fine. <laughs> I think that's an excellent way to use AI. Yeah. That is awesome. It's like your uh your robot accountant. Yeah. File this. It's almost like a Jarvis for yourself. Because I just have I have all this all this stuff. And I I've written out my own outline for it. And and I just keep having new ideas. So I'll just pull up that ChatGPT thing and just add the new idea to it. And the outline's getting really long and really convoluted. So now I'm like pulling things out of it, and like thinning it out and just making it more concise. But um, I've written 10 pages of the actual script so far. And I've got pages of notes and audio recordings and tons of stuff on that. Well, that's just, that's like a kind of a big movie idea. You ever think it'll start writing its own movies? <laughs> well, <laughs> I. I <laughs> I tested it to see, uh, just just this when when ChatGPT was like first kind or like I don't know hitting the like the media and stuff. I was like, you know, especially right now with the the strikes and and everything that's going on. I was like, well, how possible is it for ChatGPT just to knock out a script for me? And so I like gave it a concept for a story and was like, write this movie script, and it told me no. (laughs) It said that it would take an endless much processing power to write an entire script. I was like, okay, well, you write the opening scene. So it wrote me an opening scene, and it's garbage. Like (laughs) the dialogue in that scene is atrocious, and like just the scene itself is like not interesting. So. I think that I think we're you know far away 
from it just being able to just like I don't know write anything interesting or like with a soul. There's just nothing. There's definitely something missing from it, like completely. Uh, it doesn't have its own personality yet. <laughs> yeah, it will. It will. It's It'll funny. become its own Jarvis. So, and this fascinate the the world of writing fascinates me because I would love to be able to do it. Um, I got friends that are so good, man. Like like Tom Commissar. Yeah, you if you if you hook him on an idea, he will knock out an entire ninety page script. In a weekend, and, like, and that's oh, like that's that. like opening scene, and that's like, like it's dialogue, and, it's everything. And then you know, I can bounce ideas like, oh hey, you know, I like this and this. We can change that and this, and he'll be like, cool, and I'll just knock it out. Uh, Michael's the same way. My, you get Michael hooked on a thing, and then he will. I mean, he'll he's he he'll take a week and just sit on. He's a theater director too, so he yeah. and he he writes a lot of those like those plays as well. Yeah, that whole thing fascinates me. Writing. Um, cameras and lighting and all that stuff is just uh it's just a world that i i would love to be in that's for sure just never never i my boat didn't go that direction i guess i miss my but, theater days yeah I, I would love to be in that world that is for sure yeah i never did the theater thing i uh i was in i was in a play in eighth grade but I, <laughs> that was your extent of my extent of like what three plays yeah i think you did three or four yeah and yeah i did once i was in high my, school i did sound and like uh set construction my friends and i used to do videos uh in town i don't even know uh, where those are at um, i've heard of a couple of those videos. yeah they're not um i mean they're just us doing stupid shit in town we all did that yeah and video recording it with a little handheld yeah. you know the little handy cam i would ask god to use a smartphone to do that so yeah we we didn't have smartphones back then so um so yeah so we i mean we did that and we had fun but it wasn't like we wrote scripts or anything like that but yeah i mean when we first started doing stuff you know in high school it was just Hey, let's make we like made a movie about like a couple of guys breaking into a house. There was no script. We were just winging that the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we shot that till the sun came up. <laughs> so they, um, so you are working on some stuff now, obviously. Yeah. Um, you're and the whole editing process that is just like, um, cutting. Do Do you have? I guess it's all digital now. You don't actually have film. Did you ever have film? In high school, I, for photography, I took a class and developed my own film and did that for photography, not for video. Okay. All right. So it's all digital now. Do you have like programs on your computer that does all that? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I use uh, the Adobe Creative Cloud, like Adobe Premiere oh, okay. and stuff like that. Um, Photoshop. I, 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 I use all that stuff for editing. Which is entirely too expensive. Uh, if you if you want to get into it, use DaVinci Resolve. It's free and uh, uh, okay. and it's, so, it's, yeah. it's industry standard. Everybody uses it anyway. Uh, I don't know why I pay so much money. <laughs> <laughs> it's because I learned it and I know it, and I'm too stubborn to learn a new program. <laughs> yeah, sense. that's fair. That's fair. Um, now you said that Parallels was in Popcom, the film festival. Um, you had mentioned to me earlier this evening before we got on the podcast. Um, what's the process of getting your film into a film festival? Well, not only did we have that in Belizean, but we also ran two film festivals here in Logosport for five years straight. So, so we did Midwest Horror Fest, Midwest Action Fest. Uh, I think my mom helped promote that. 
Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, we did those for five years straight. We had celebrity guests and things come to town. Um, you know, we didn't, you know, when we started, it was a full weekend. Um, you know, just, we would get hundreds of movies submitted to us. We were watching any movies nonstop all year round. Uh, and during that time frame, we weren't really making a lot of our own stuff. So we, we quit doing the film festivals to focus more on making our own movies. But, but doing that, we learned the film circuit and how it all works and how to submit your own films and all that. So, um, it's really, really easy, actually. I mean, there's a website called Film Freeway. Uh, you can be, you can, you can sign up on it as a film festival or as a creator that you're trying to submit yourself to those festivals. Um, it's universally used. I mean, you know, it's you know, every country, it's nationwide or, or uh, international. So I can submit my movies to any and all film festivals across the globe, uh, but they are you have to pay to submit your movie. So. Um, oh, okay. you know, and movie submissions, you know, that's another, that's another thing that you don't think about when you're making a movie is when it's done, what do you do with that movie? Uh, cause you can, you can, you know, when, when you start getting to the point where you're, where you're spending a lot of money to make a movie, you're spending, you know, like undesirables is a movie that was fully funded by like, like rad entertainment and, and, and producers locally, you know, oh, we, there's a $35,000 movie. A lot of my own money went in that movie. A lot of, uh, we had, uh, producers here in town that we brought in, uh, like, uh, um, uh, Bill Thompson contributed to it and, um, uh, science project contributed to it. Like, so we, we had a lot of people that just like, uh, threw a lot of money at us to help make that movie, which is great. But when that movie's done, what do you do with it? For the you know, for some people, film festivals is definitely a, you know an option to get it in front of people. But you have to include that in your budget because film festival, that stuff it adds up fast. If you're submitting a bunch of film festivals, like yeah, some of them is like ten bucks a pop. But like if you want to submit your movie to Cannes or something like that, if you like have a lot of faith and you want to go to Cannes Fest, film festival uh, or Sundance or something like that, those film festivals are more expensive. Those are like fifty bucks to submit your film, you know, and. And it depends on when you get it too. Like I think cans is forty dollars on their early deadline, but their late deadline's like hundred bucks. So you know, you want to try and just put those on your calendar and get them in as early as possible um, if you're trying to go that route. But yeah, it's that's a great way to, especially for short films. That's where you need to put them is in the film festival circuit because that's it's people. I mean, it's really easy to get movie. Not not easy. But it's people are more willing to show your film as a short than a feature. A feature you need to commit a lot of time to, so to a public audience to watch this thing. It better be good the whole time. Yeah. Uh, so, so that's an option. And then you know, there's also distribution options. So with distribution in the indie world, you know, Idol Girls on Amazon Prime and it's on Tubi. It's a uh, we're self distributed for that production. Um, uh, it's also on a bunch of like foreign streaming services and stuff too. It's kind of a little all over the place right now. Um, but, um, we do have our foot in the door with a couple of streaming services. I don't really want to say on the podcast necessarily, but we do have a foot in the door with a couple of streaming services that are interested in the undesirables and, uh, and interested in potentially macabre. Mountain. Uh, so we might have our foot in the door with some streaming services coming up in the near future, which would be cool. But uh, there are companies that pick up indie films like uh, Wild Eye Productions. Um, they uh, some of H and M films are on Wild Eye. 
Um, we have a, some friends uh, from Ohio called their concept media. They have a movie called Don't Fuck in the Woods. And, uh, uh, and they have Don't Fuck in the Woods too. <laughs> and that's is there a trilogy uh, is there gonna be a trilogy there's gonna be a trilogy i'm pretty sure the third movie has time travel in it um but oh uh, so <laughs> don't oh, okay. in the woods threesome yeah um <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh those movies you know have some pretty widespread distribution um so you know it's like how can you make money off that you know off that movie after it's done how do you make that money back you know you spend thirty five thousand dollars making a movie like is it just down the drain or you know you've got this cool project all these people are involved how do you get in front of people and what's the what is your goal with that project is your goal just to get people to see it are you trying to make money off of it i've got some plans uh in the works for self-distribution for the future that i'm really excited about trying out i think will be different and interesting especially in today's world so um yeah it's just distribution is like a whole thing i've been trying to like figure that out for a long time. I think that's everybody in the indie world is just really trying to figure out the best options for distribution. They're so... And and I'm going to make it sound way more simple than I'm sure that it is. It's probably going to irritate the piss out of you. But there's so many streaming services out there now. Donut's Pints is a craft beer and wine spin on the classic arcade. Located at 422 East Broadway in beautiful downtown Logansport, Bonus Pints is the anchor of the bonus building on the corner of Broadway and 5th Street. They have all your favorite classic arcade games and both classic and current pinball machines. Every Wednesday is trivia, and every Thursday and Friday there is live music. Come and bring your friends. The food, the music, the games, and the people. Especially, I would think, for like Andy for everyone. Well, Bonus that shutter specifically on Shutter, uh, Screenbox. Yeah. Um, the, the Clue documentary, oddly yeah. enough, because I'm a huge Clue, mo- the movie fan from oh, yeah. 1985, the documentary is on Screenbox. So I literally had to buy Screenbox so that I could watch the Clue documentary. And then I found out that they had a Robert England documentary. Uh, child's play documentary and they just released um they're gonna do episodes of a robocop documentary so it's like uh, four episodes of like a robocop documentary so it's kind of i have this i have this real pet peeve of <clears throat> of like streaming services i don't i don't, I don't like, I go on a huge rate about about the oversaturation of the market right now and the the Right now, as a filmmaker, you should be able to get a job. There are so many damn things being made all the time. I mean, not right now in this very moment because of the strikes and all the stuff, but on that aside. But there's so many streaming services creating so much stuff all the time that as an indie filmmaker, if you make something and you're really proud of it and you want people to see it, don't put it on a streaming service because nobody will fucking watch it. <laughs> because, you know, it, because it will, yes, it'll fall in the backlog it'll just it's just like dropping your thing into a well like i mean it's there's so much that is just out there that it is that like um everything everywhere all once yeah okay that movie um got offered distribution through netflix if i remember correctly like it could have come out as a netflix original movie and they said no like that was their like they it, it was you know a24 picked it up but if I remember correctly, Netflix gave them their a first offer, and it was with a lot of money. 
and they told them no, and they went the long route on it because they wanted people to see it, and it won Best Picture. If it would have went to Netflix, it would have not won Best Picture. Right. There's right. no way. It would have. It would have barely been talked about. It maybe would have been talked about for a week, and then would have been gone. Right. Uh, and or maybe people would have found it two years later. Right. But it's it's a it's there's such a giant well of content. I'm using air quotes on a podcast. Content. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I hate the term content a lot. Uh, I and it stems from a lot of like kind of like the YouTube space because as a creator and con- like content creator for YouTube, if you're pumping out stuff every week, that's what you are, man. You're making content. Um, I'm not saying that people aren't making art and that there are creative things happening there, uh, but but you're making you're trying to feed the algorithm that is YouTube by releasing all this stuff. And now streaming services like Disney, if you watch. Interviews with Bob Iger. All he does is talk about the content that they're releasing on their platform and how their content's premium and better than everybody else's content. It's not content. It's art. And people are fucking pouring their heart and souls into this stuff. And then it just gets released as content to fill a platform that then gets like erased from existence if people don't watch it. Disney released two movies earlier this year on Disney Plus that went straight to streaming that were on their platform for a week and then they pulled them because no one was watching them and now those filmmakers that made that movie, they can't, they can't watch their own movie because it doesn't exist anymore. Like, there are... Uh, uh, I didn't hear about that. <laughs> there, there are... There, maybe, maybe they weren't very good. I don't know. I mean, but it's it's just... It's just a thing where I mean they have to be decent to go on. Oh, well, Disney, you said, I mean, Disney, yeah, no, you said it, Disney it was funded original. by Disney, but it's like it's like you are funding these projects, like like the Batgirl movie. Yeah, yeah. that's sitting on a shelf. They shot, made an entire movie, and then was like, oh, it's one that's cheaper. Just or, you know, we'll save money if we just if we get a write off on it. We'll actually make money if we make if we just write it off instead of releasing. Yeah, it. instead of releasing it. Yeah, yeah. film the entire movie. It was it's done. Like, Content is king right now. They don't really give a shit about quality at all. It is just how much stuff can we get on our platform so we have more stuff than them. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. And it, it drives me insane. So as an indie filmmaker right now, I am kind of I start I, I am starting to feel a little bit lost in what it is that I'm doing with with everything that we're making. I'm I have shifted my perspective pretty hard over the last couple of years into I'm sick of making everybody else's things. I've been hired and, and done so much stuff for all these other movies. And now I, I want to make just rad entertainment stuff. Like it's either, either I'm directing, Rebecca's directing, or I'm filming stuff for just the people that I've worked closely with over the years. And my, my friend Roman, uh, who I've talked about a couple times, he's, uh, he has a short film that we're shooting, uh, next month and you know i'm just gonna go shoot that i'm not getting paid i'm just gonna go we're gonna take a weekend and shoot a short film with him because because we're friends and it's awesome and i love making movies like it's just like we're gonna make this probably five minute short that's gonna be cool and fun and, and that's more where i'm at with it now and i but but as a but that's what you know it's a little short we'll probably throw in some film festivals or something but with the big budget stuff that we're doing like big budget being Thirty thousand dollars is a no budget movie, and you're talking Hollywood stuff. But with that stuff, you know, it's like, where do you put it? But I've got some ideas. I got some ideas that don't involve streaming services, even though I do have some streaming services that are interested in watching it. I, I have I have some ideas that might be harder to do 
but maybe will gain me traction in a way that's... I, I just want people to watch it. I don't want them just like dropping a well and then nobody sees it. But you just want people to see what you made. I'm going to see it. I think you yeah. hate it. I don't care. I just want, I want them to be able to at least see it and give me their opinion. <laughs> right. So are you... Um, have you guys considered bringing the Midwest Film Festival back? No, not really. We got asked that the other day, too. Uh, we made a lot of really cool connections and had a lot of fun doing it. Um, but we just... Um, we just, we're just moving on from it. We, we really, um, we really want to just make our own stuff and the film festivals are just really time consuming. No. And, 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 and we had small crew, I mean, as you know, there's mostly me and Rebecca doing a lot of it. We did have, we had some people that were judges and watched the movies with us and stuff, but, but we watched every single one of those movies. I mean, Rebecca specifically watched every movie that got submitted, every single one. It is tough, man. It, it, it's tough. Like, I mean, the, the horror fest alone in our, in our last year, I think we, we got over 300 submissions and like, it's a lot of movies, man. It's a, it's a lot, lot of time. time. It's a lot of time to watch. You watch them all year round. You're watching them all year. All right. year watching back to back at times. Yo, I mean, we're just we're just marathoning them. You know, we're just yeah. all, we just go okay Sunday all day. Wake it, wake up. Just watching these movies all day. Cause if we don't watch them, we, how are we gonna? Yeah, get, yeah you're not. You're gonna get through them. Like we had to watch them. We watch them all, and a uh, lot of you know, a lot of duds, but a um, lot of lot of really good promise. People that would submit stuff one year and not get in, and then submit something the next year, but like, hey, you know what? This is great, and we like, and then they get in. Um, we met lots of really cool people. We met uh, we had, we had filmmakers that came to Logosport from Japan. We had, Jesus, we had accepted a film, a film uh, Japanese, like kind of a kind of an action, kind of a. Uh, crime movie and they came to Logosport very first time in America to see their movie played at the State Theater here and it was awesome we had a great time took them all to the bar afterwards when they didn't speak like hardly any English it was a ton of fun <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then a few years later, uh, uh, they released the, they, they shot another movie and it's about online, uh, gambling and poker, po- like online poker games. And they had to have this, uh, crew of American poker players. And we're all in that movie where we, we shot it here with our cameras and green screens and they were in a Japanese indie film. That's like, awesome. That's like, cool. Uh, That's cool. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, Doing the film festivals, we we met a lot of really fun people, a lot of like made some real cool connections. There's a a group of guys from Canada. Uh shout out to uh Jason and Brett and Raphael. Uh they are uh uh they they work for like or at least Jason Brett do, or they, they work for like Fox Montreal, I, I think. Uh, they work on all the X Men movies, so like all the X Men movies, they're the they're the they're the like props, weapon handlers, like stunt guys, like they they do all those, all that stuff. They've done tons of stuff. Jason's uh, the voice of Drax in the Guardians of the Galaxy video game. Really, oh, really, cool. Oh, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, he's in the, the new Scream movie. Did you guys see that? The, the six yeah. Scream movie. Yeah, he's, in the, he's in the uh, uh, convenience store scene. He's the convenience store clerk that gets shotgunned by okay. like, his face. That's, yeah, yeah. yeah that's okay. Jason. He's Jason's awesome. He's been a huge fan of everything that we've been doing. He's always been super supportive. Like. Uh, yeah, those film festivals, they, we met some really cool people. I, 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 we loved doing it. We just don't have time for it. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. I get that. Brad and I were talking earlier about producing. Yeah. So, so he had, he had an analogy, but well, it was a, what, what he pictures. 
How does so? How does producing a movie work exactly? There's a bunch of different levels of producers and what that means on a set, and and it's a very broad term. I think Um, the term producer usually ties to money. Usually, the person who's funding the project okay um, is is the 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 head producer on it, like the executive producer. Uh, I think on a television show, the top producers. The executive producers that they're, they're credited as on a movie, the top producer is just producer, and then there's executive producer underneath them. I don't know what difference why why they change it for that, but um, usually producer is the person with the money who's funding the project. Therefore, they have a say in how that project is handled. Okay. So when you're talking, when you're talking like big Hollywood stuff, like like the Flash movie, which is like kind of a big shit show of a film because. It is had four directors that directed the movie because they either quit or got fired, and most likely due to too much studio interference with the project that they're making. Like, so too many producers uh, telling them what to do or how something should be made or how it should be done. Um, I think if you bring us, if you bring somebody to a project, you know, you should trust their vision on it. I do understand that if you feel as though they're going in a wrong direction with it and you're the one fronting all this money, but in the same vein, DC and Marvel, they have so much money. Yeah, they just they can just shuffle people in and out. They, I mean, they, really, honestly. Yeah, they they've got really they've got so care. much money. Like, what are they losing? All of the, every movie that Marvel or that DC has released, the last five movies they released have all bombed. They've all not made their money back. So what does it matter at this point? Just like give an artist like a, a, a like let them do it and see what happens. Like, like <laughs> yeah. I would much rather have a movie that's a concise vision than a clusterfuck of a bunch of different people's visions. Or maybe pay them fair enough, and they won't write crap. Right, they'll put a little more effort in if they feel. Well, well, we we get back to that, like circle back to that thing of content over quality. Like it doesn't matter unless it's done. You know, it's just like they don't. But but you know, but they also think you've done a certain way. They want it to be a certain tone and, and they'll change their mind in that tone because one movie was successful that came out while they're making that movie. It's annoying. But yeah, as yeah. producers are concerned, that's what most people think about when they think about producers is the person with the money. Now there's other levels of producers. <clears throat> I, when I produce a movie, um, I'm usually coming on as like a creative producer. So I come on a project with like, like say parallels of a producer. I'm producing that movie, and I'm also <clears throat> the cinematographer. And part of producing that movie was donating a lot of my pay back to the project, also providing all the equipment for the project, um, providing funding for certain aspects of the project, also being involved in the script writing. Like, like Daniel wrote that script and was like, but he was open to 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 changes like he was open he was open to collaborating on it you know so like i came on as a creative producer from a from a perspective of i've been i've made a lot of movies it's his first movie he's also worked though on sets like lots of sets so he's not like he was coming in completely dry but but he trusted my vision and so i came on as a creative producer to just like be like this is what i think we should do ultimately always director's decision i will lay out the paths and these are the things we can do but always it's your show, man. Like, pick a direction. Let's go for it. Um, so I came as creative producer there. You also have like associate producers, which you can give an associate producer to anyone for any real reason that you want to. Like, if you have a if you have a guy on set that just busted his ass the whole time and donated a lot of his time to it, 
or worked overtime and just was like just a real you know showstopper just out there just doing it, you'd be like, hey man, I'm gonna throw you an associate producer credit on this movie because that just helps your resume when you're going on to make another thing. Somebody's willing to hire you because oh hey you that you worked as a gaffer on this and then Andrew an associate producer talked to me about why you know, why did you get associate producer credit because. You know, and sometimes you can, you know, we sell those kind of credits too in the in the Indiegogo space. Like if you want to help fund the movie and you want to throw, you know, like you've got like three hundred bucks you want to throw at, with getting an associate producer credit for that. You know, it's just like, you know, it's not enough money to, you know, to warrant like an executive producer thing. You know, if you're going to throw thousands of dollars at it, you know, we'll talk. But if you've got like a few hundred bucks you want to throw at a movie, like we'll throw you an associate producer credit. Um, so there's a lot of different levels of producers and, and how you can be a producer in that. I think the best producers are those who have worked in the industry. Like Felissa Rose, uh, you, who you may know uh, from Sleepaway Camp uh, uh, and like Hatchet and those kind of movies. But she's, she's, a, in the, she's in a newer movie that you're doing too, right? Yeah, she's an undesirable stage. She's in Macon Mountain. Okay. But yeah. she, she's a producer on Macon Mountain. And, and her, her role as a producer was she built the team. She she was the one who called me. She was like, "Hey, uh, we're making this movie, and I'd love to bring you on as a director." Like she built the team that made that movie and trusted the people that she put in there. I think she's an excellent producer when it comes to like her vision, like the people that she pulled together. Because I didn't, I wasn't involved in casting. I didn't do any of that. Like it was her and Xander Goldman. So Xander Goldman was the main producer on it, but they pulled together a lot of people and trusted everybody's vision and and let us to a degree, do what it is that we wanted to do. There's definitely, that was my first experience working with, with producers that have like heavy hands on on the project. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff in it that wasn't exactly the direction that I would have taken it. But as a final product, when you, that's why I love filmmaking is everybody has a say so in it, even if it's your movie your director, it's your vision, whatever. But you do have producers that, have money invested into a project so you have to meet a standard or a you put it into a box and i think that creativity breeds from being put into a box i you know i just went on a huge rant about letting an artist do their thing but at the same time if you have restraints especially budgetary restraints and that's why indie filmmaking is fun is because you don't have a lot of money so you gotta figure it out <laughs> you gotta be creative yeah for sure you you you, you have to you can't just like oh man i want this crane shot i want this camera to swoop in and do <laughs> stuff and it's like yeah me too but like we got twelve dollars for the day so let's uh yeah how can let's we let's just put bobby on top of the ladder and have him jump off yeah. that's gonna be <laughs> so i mean there, there's just like this you know like how do you how do you okay why do you want that crane shot what's the emotion that you are getting in that scene how can we do that differently and still convey that same emotion yeah, yeah. so it's, it, there's a lot of stuff there's a lot of fun stuff in, in parallels especially there's a lot of really cool stuff in that movie that just came from being like stuck on a thing like okay well let's just do it this way because we don't have enough time and actually it's infinitely better than what we had that we we're going to set up time for it anyway like yeah and it's really i'm sure it's really hard when you're i mean the indie that's what the indie is all about is that you don't have that big budget to do that thing so you've got to find the other way to do it yeah or create i mean the stories from star wars making the um yeah making the stuff out of soap dispensers or making yeah. the stuff out of you know the paper towel holders that you know that's how they built a lot of their props because um 
budget wasn't a huge issue, but it kind of was because Star Wars was not like it wasn't what it, the budget would be today. But it was still a decent budget for back in 1977, I'm sure. But they still had to be creative with what they made. So, I mean, when you look at those movies, you know, like the indie movies, like even like Clerks is Clerks is still like a ten million dollar movie. You know what I mean? I mean, like these, or maybe that was that was yeah, probably not. That made, was probably not. That yeah, was probably he made not. what he said. He said he made Clerks for he claims he made Clerks for twenty five thousand dollars. I was just saying. I was say that, that was a bad example because I don't know what that one is. It was, and, and even but like, I think he made more. I think it cost him ten million to make more. Right, but but back in the day, you you had to rent all that equipment, and it was all on film, and there was like a lot of money is wrapped up in just the camera rentals and all that. Stuff. Yeah, like yeah. And, and lighting and all that. It was so expensive. To do you own your own equipment now? I own enough equipment to do like commercials for people and, and stuff. Like I do, oh, okay. I do a lot of commercial work uh, for small businesses. Okay. So. I have enough equipment to do something like that. But when it comes to the movies, we rent everything. I mean, oh, not, not everything. We have a, we own a lot of stuff. We don't get me wrong. We own a lot of equipment. But when it comes to the actual camera and lenses, I always rent camera and lenses uh, for the production because I rent something that's better than what I am. But, oh, God. Here, here recently with the last few productions. Yeah. 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 That's cool. Yeah. Camera rental stuff is, it's, it's, it's the best way to go. Where do you rent something like that? I rent it online. There's a there's a couple of problems. Oh, okay. houses. They uh, package it up and send it to you. Yep, then it ships out of Tennessee. I get it usually two days before production, um, just to run through, test everything. I own a ton of batteries and all the stuff, power, all the stuff that we usually rent, so that way I can save money on all the rental fees. I usually just rent a camera and lenses, and then I have all the other equipment like gimbals and all that stuff. Um, What's a gimbal? Um, hmm. It's it's like uh you know it's like a thing you strap the camera to the show. Okay, okay. It makes it level. Makes it okay. Yeah, so you can right. walk it. Maybe this is yeah. Uh, uh, I own I own a, a thing a, a a piece of kit called a tilt a float, which has a gimbal mounted on top of it. So it's a big pole that has a gimbal on it that has the camera mounted in that, and then the pole is attached to a giant metal arm. That is on a vest that I wear that holds the weight of it all, so that way, like they used to call this movie, they still call it steady cams on set. Which you'll, you'll if you watch behind the scenes, it's always going to be yeah. a camera on a pole and like yeah. arm, like doing it. It's a combination of a steady cam and a gimbal together. So now I can do, I can swivel it down to the floor and so like follow a character from their feet, you know, and then pan up to their face and go walk and talk. Like as we walk with them to like introduce characters and then just kind of yeah. moves around. Uh, that was we bought that for Macaw Mountain because we were shooting sixteen pages a day, and I needed something that I could run around with. Uh, and I, I felt like it was going to be like really running gun thing. That piece of equipment saved that movie. I mean, I don't think we could have shot it if I didn't have it. So, how long did it take you to shoot that Macaw Mountain? We had two weeks. Two weeks. Yeah, we shot it in two weeks, or maybe it was a little more than two weeks. It was, it was eighteen days. I think. I think it was 18 days is what we originally scheduled it for, but we actually wrapped two days early, <laughs> which was awesome. So it never knows. <laughs> and you directed that? Yes. Okay. All right. Directed and did cinematography? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, yeah, I was hired to direct that movie, so that was that was a cool project. It was the first movie that I got paid to direct, which was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> it's in post-production, according to your IMDB. It is. It is. It is. <laughs> I have Three shots left in that movie to edit. Uh, I have to replace a green screen in that 
and there's three shots that it's a, just a TV monitor behind the character, and that's it, and it's done tomorrow. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that's like cool. it's it is done this weekend. It's done. I'm so excited for it to be done. <laughs> I've been working on it for over a year now. But, uh, oh yeah, between filming and between yeah pre-production to today, okay, it's been over a year. It premieres in West Virginia at the end of the month, at the end of September, and film uh, festival. No, it's uh, just in the town that we filmed it at. We filmed it in West Virginia, so we're just going to premiere there. Uh, And then it's going to have some screenings, and then it may... I don't really know what the plan is for distribution with that one. I I don't own it, any own the rights to it or anything, but I I, I hope to travel around to the screenings with it and everything, but but I don't own any uh, any rights to it at all, so we'll we'll see what happens with it as far as... I know they have some some plans for for, uh, distribution, so we'll see if they pan out. Have you ever filmed anything out of the country? Like, have you traveled out of the country? No, but I do have two projects that are right now kind of in the works that are both in Canada that I might end up doing, but um, a couple of friends of mine. Okay. So what's the, what's the strangest place that you've had? Las Vegas. Las Vegas. Okay. Okay. Specifically in Las Vegas. We filmed on a soundstage mm-hmm. for the majority of that of what we shot there, uh, which is the same soundstage that they shoot Brazzers porn. Oh, nice! Yeah. <laughs> I bet that was cleanly. Uh, <laughs> hey, it was actually it's a super. It was a, hey, it was a super awesome set. That dude, I'm that sure dude, it was sanitized. That dude does a job. Like <laughs> is he a producer on the film? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that movie or that that set dude that guy that ran that set was so cool because he just does construction for a living or he did construction his whole life and he just got to the point where he was sick of like building houses and so he was he's rented a warehouse and was like i'll just rent it out like for sets for resets and he immediately got contacted for porn and he said he, he just that's like we need a doctor's office he just builds a doctor's office and he leaves, and they shoot their scenes, and he comes back, and they're like, well, they're like, they're like now he's be like a jail cell. They're like, make him a jail cell. And then he get paid, and he gets paid extra if they want him as a handyman on set to like build stuff on the fly as they need it. So that's uh, that's awesome. Like when we were making that movie, he was like, he's like, this is cool, man. It's the first thing I've shot in a while. It wasn't porn. <laughs> 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 the first day that we were there, it was a jail cell, and then it, the he had to completely flip the set. We went home, like we went back to the Airbnb, slept. The next day, showed the set. It was like a when we showed up the first day, it's all you know, just concrete grayed out bars. You know, it's jail cell. We walk in the next day, everything's white as can be. It's in a it's a psych room, like like everybody's like strapped in jackets, and and it's was, it was super cool. It was, it was awesome. And then he had like a, we had an office set there. I mean, two different offices. They would need two offices, two separate-looking offices. So we had built two offices in there. I mean, it was in the various hallways that he had to build. There was lots of cool stuff that he had to put together. And he has just like a warehouse just full of props. He's just like, "What do you need?" He's just like chucking stuff off this grid. <laughs> just like, "You guys need like what?" We're like, "Like, oh, we got stuff for doctors." Like, he's like, he sat the scalp and was like, "Got a full crate of dildos." This is a fun time. Uh, yeah, it's definitely the weirdest place that I've shot a movie just because of the porn aspect of it, but uh shot a lot of movies in the woods. That's always sucking now. Yeah. It sucks being <laughs> in the woods. I like the woods. Cameras, equipment gets dirty. Yeah, it's just, yeah, that's exactly what it is. Stuff getting dirty, charging batteries, like, I mean, it's just hard. It's hard to film stuff in the woods, man. It's like, you're like, oh, let's play a witch it and just make a horror movie in the woods. 
It always sounds like an easy thing to do, and you get out there like this sucks. <laughs> uh, uh, Roman invested in wagons so we can carry just drag our equipment all over all over the woods. Uh, yeah, we got we have a movie we're we're doing with Roman next year in the woods. <laughs> in, the, in the woods, but we also have a soundstage where we're building the woods. For oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of all cool. the dialogue scenes that take place like at night and stuff. We just we're just gonna build the woods. Where's um the soundstage at? It's all the same property that the woods is on. Like like it's a campground that we're shooting it all. Oh, in. okay. All the campground they have like a big warehouse building that they're letting us use to build the woods. Oh, that's cool. Super cool. Yeah. yeah. And, like we, we, the, we, the more we do it, the more like we're like it sucks to shoot in the woods. How can we not do it? I'll just build the woods. That'd be way easier, yeah. <laughs> way easier, especially but, if you have the budget to do that. But, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. So, so we're getting we're getting to that point now. Like uh, trying to think of like if there's any other weird places that we've shot. Um, we shoot in the scene in Idol Girl where uh, Rebecca's character gets shot in the gas station. Yeah. That gas station was totally open and people were coming in and out the whole time. So we just packed there with this gun, like hold her up hostage. These people just would walk in and out. Uh, that was that's fucking that, was, that was the gas station. That's on top of college. Uh, oh, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. That's on top of the hill. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> that's funny that's funny yeah so did you like just walk in and like tell the clerk hey we, no, to we, we, we had talked with him months in advance to, oh okay to all right was she there. like still like we're shooting a movie it's fine like we're shooting a girl. yeah <laughs> we're shooting a girl. <laughs> yeah no they knew we were gonna film we, we, we had okay and everything but oh, okay we're, we're really good with respect to people's property and 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 besides the gothras yeah, yeah. Uh, gothras was very much like let's just shoot this and run like, we shot that in like we were we were in that parking lot for less than five minutes. I think so. That was a one take one. That's hilarious. Hey, it works. It worked perfectly. Yeah. But yeah, we we there's you know some of that stuff. Some of it's that way. Some of it is is very played out. Like uh, undesirables, we shut down a street in town for for a scene. Um, you know, you saw a lot of that in Logan. Right? That entire movie was shot in Logan Square. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. I'm excited for people to see that because it's entirely shot in Logan Square. We shot across the street here over at the Historical Society building. Uh, for a good chunk of it, we used because uh, it's a heist movie that takes place after the heist, like ripping off Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. Uh, so we used the jet, we used the safe in there. We we used to see part of the heist, and then upstairs there uh, is like the villains' kind of headquarters of like this big office building that we needed, and then uh, the majority of the movie is shot over at uh, Riverview Restaurant. Uh, we shot that movie. They they <clears throat> close at. Like 10 p.m. and open at 6 a.m. Eight-hour block for us to film in every night. We filmed uh, 10 days straight night shoots there, uh, only having an eight-hour window to film in. So really, only filming for like five or six hours of you know maybe time to like set up and get going. Like five six hours right there. We got we got really well oiled into that, so we could start as soon as we possibly could. They let us keep all of our equipment there. Uh, we had to tear everything down every night and like pack it up into a side space, but then we could just drag it out easy. We have to like load in the cars or anything. That was sick. But um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean that 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 was that was hard. That was we were like we were like there's a scene where there's a there's a scene where a lot of people die in that movie, and one of the guys gets shot in the back of the head. He's on the ground and blood spatters across the whole floor, and I've got like this like overhead shot and just. 
just across the floor. And we were like mopping blood up. And it's like 6 a.m. And they're like you know, rolling in. And we're just like rinsing out mop buckets of just like red. <laughs> like, have a good day, guys. So it, it's kind of, um, it's your not owed to reservoir dogs then. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, kind of sort of. There, there were two. There were two main like concepts that spawned that movie for me. Uh, when it, in, which was, I wanted. I, I love crime movies. That's my favorite genre. I that the, the Undesirables is the only movie that we've made that's not a horror movie. I'm pretty sure that's right. Pretty sure. Oh, no, I, I've, I've made up movies for other people. That's not heart and minds of drama about a guy cheating on his wife. But I kind of argue I didn't find Idol Girl too much of a horror besides like it's two a, jump scares. Well, it's it's a, it's got zombies in it. There's a horror element to the movie. Okay. The, I, Idol Girl we call a Christmas crime movie is what we actually call it. Uh, that, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, we don't we don't we don't call it. We, 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 we say it's a Christmas crime movie with a horror twist. <laughs> uh, but. Uh, uh, but everything's like at least in that world of horror. Undesirables is a dystopian future crime film, uh, and it's it's a you know crime movie through There are two two elements of that movie that like kind of helped spawn that idea, which was I was always jealous kind of of that idea that of like Reservoir Dogs, like oh how genius of it to like make a heist movie supposed to happen a heist, and I'm like. I can just do that. That's fine. Like, because every movie that Tarantino does is just a rip off of seven other movies anyway. Because yeah, that's every director and how they operate and how art is made anyway. So I'm like, all right, so let's just steal that idea from there. And then the actual concept of the movie originally, the if you read the original script that I wrote, which is eight pages before I wrote the treatment. I had eight pages of a script that I had written of three characters that were sitting at a table having a conversation kind of about, and it's like after a heist and they're kind of, they don't trust each other. And it's just like a conversation between these three characters. And the idea was there's a Alfred Hitchcock um, concept of how to create tension within a scene, how to build like dramatic tension which is like having two characters talking from across the table with each other. And they talk for, <clears throat> if, if, if these two characters talk for 10 minutes and then the restaurant explodes, there's no tension. It's just like a kind of quick shock. Oh, and you kind of forget, you didn't forget what happened, you know, but if you let these two characters talk for three minutes and then reveal a bomb that's strapped to the bottom of that table that has a countdown on it and then come back to that conversation you as the audience know that that bomb is about to go off and these two people are sitting here fucking talking about nothing. And it's like, they have no idea. So the tension is building because you know this has got five minutes left on the timer and it's about to blow up and then when it blows up, there's, there's tension. There. So, uh, so the idea for Undesirables originally was uh, was supposed to be a short film that was going to be take place after heist and all shit was going to hit the fan at a certain point and we we're going to like set that up. And then the concept just kind of grew bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's what it is. It is characters that are at a diner. That's their meeting place after heist. And uh, and you're trying to figure out as an audience member what they stole, why, and kind of like what the point of it all is. 
And it's it's a lot. It's, it's kind of a dialogue driven movie. We don't we're not entirely there. We bounce around at some other locations. So there's some action sequences, and some gunshots, and some violence, and some blood, and some you know stuff in it. But ultimately, <clears throat> it is a movie where you are trying to figure out who you can trust and you can't trust. And and I, I think it's a I think it's. Are you fun. releasing? Are you gonna like how close is that to being done? Mm. It's still in kind of early stages. Macabre Mountain, uh, getting hired to direct that movie kind of pushed Undesirables in the background. It's a, uh, I have right now in the edit, I think I have 40 minutes of the edit, and it's probably going to be about a 90 minute movie, about halfway through the edit right now. And I'm really excited where I'm at in the edit because, um, we're about to like it's the, the about to jump scene like locations and do some really cool stuff. Uh so I'm excited for it. I've got that movie's definitely more my baby in the sense of it is the story that I created. I cast that film. I brought on, you know, I handpicked all the crew and and uh, uh Michael and I made that movie. My the writer Michael is also the lead actor in the film. He is a producer on it. He threw a lot of no money into it. Uh yeah, I couldn't have done without him. But so, are you going to premiere that in Logansport? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's gonna now premiere. Mary Max. We're. I think we're gonna do a two night premiere. We're gonna do. Uh, we're, I think we're gonna do the State Theater Friday night, Mary Max Saturday night. Okay. Uh, potentially. I mean, that's just kind of like you know, that's maybe that's what we're gonna do. Uh, okay. only because Saturday. Uh, only because the Friday night, or because the I love the atmosphere at the State. It's a great place to have a Q&A afterwards, to kind of have a party about it. You know, there's a bar, uh, you know, to just be able to get on stage and talk about the, how it was made and all the stuff. Like, that's fun to do there. Mary Max is going to be better for the film experience as far as sound and quality of the picture and all that stuff. Right. It's going to look and sound better at Mary Max, but that doesn't, they don't really have the... We can we can stand at the bottom of this. We you know we ran film festivals there. We you know, I put up a microphone. We could talk to the audience and do stuff there. It just doesn't. It's a, it's a real pain in the ass to get a microphone to work in that room without a ton of feedback. And then it just, in my opinion, looked better being on. It looks good being on stage. Yeah, yeah. Talking, yeah. To, talking to the audience and stuff. So yeah. so we'll probably do a, a double a double night screening for people who can't make it to a Friday night show. You know? Yeah, and that'll be good because it's kind of like more of a, like you said, you get the uh, it's more of a meet and greet and Q and A with the state theater yeah. where Mary Max is more of a high quality, you know, high because, quality because for me, the amount of effort I'm going to put it, I want people to experience it like the high quality, like right, you know, right. so much money put into it and time and effort. Right. I want people to experience it and not because at the state when you watch it, <laughs> you know, the state. No offense to the state. At all, everything to do there. It's like, not really awesome. built to be a movie theater. It's not any like the sound. The sound system right. there too is like it's it's built for music, you know. Right, so it's like right. it's just watching a movie on that is always the levels always just kind of like end up a little all over the place. I'm excited right. to do the whole microphone in the middle of the thing, so somebody's gonna like get up and walk down and <laughs> ask you questions. <laughs> yeah, this question's for the director. Um, <laughs> you know, I that, that's. That would be exciting for me, just sitting up on stage and, oh, holy shit, this looks like something out of a Kevin Smith stand-up, you know? So we did, uh... Yeah. Yeah. For Idol Girl, it was fun because we did the movie immediately followed with a behind-the-scenes documentary on how it was made. Uh, if you guys want a link to that, I'll send you a link to that. Too. Yes, definitely. Uh, but, 
so we did we did that and then so people got to watch the movie and then immediately afterwards got to watch uh like behind the scenes of how it was made and a blooper reel and then we took the stage and so people so a lot of the questions were already answered in a, in a lot of that, but then people also got to ask more questions because they got to see what how things okay. work. Like the scene, uh, the driving stuff with the in, when they're in the car driving, like the the background is my TV. They're just in a parked car. We're shaking the car, and I have my TV on the other side of the window. With explains a lot. I was gonna ask why it's kind of like I've seen some. I've seen how that can be done pretty cheaply, and I was like, that doesn't look the best, but that makes some sense. Right, it translates okay? Like, you get what's happening. Yeah, exactly. You're also like, weird. I was like, man, that looks looks real blurry for how nice this camera is. It's, uh, it was shot at 2 a.m. It was a, uh, it was a, it was a late night. It was freezing outside, where everybody's, like, in coats and everything. We're out there rocking this car. We're dragging my TV out into the cold and mounting up. And that is hilarious. The biggest issue with that, from a technical standpoint, is that all the footage was shot on like a Samsung phone at like 60 frames a second and then rendered out in like 24 frames a second, shot on another camera 24 frames a second. So like the background is also like really bright and like kind of choppy. It, yeah. It's the frame makes that don't match up. It's just like it kind of really throws it off. And then uh, it was shot at night, and it's a day, kind of a day scene. So then the lighting has to like. I've learned a lot about how to do that, and I think we're going to be doing that again uh, here in the nearish future for another project. Uh, and I so I'm excited to do that again. Uh, we're going to rear project it though. This next time. So, <laughs> so I'm going to ask this because you said that. You had you listed the movies that kind of inspired you to go into the field, mm-hmm. but what do you? I know the answer. I know I know one answer, but what movies do you enjoy to watch? Okay. What are you into? Uh, so, if you were to ask me what my favorite movie is, and you would ask me. What, what movie I've seen in a million times, you know what I mean? Like, what's the movie I've watched though, all the time? Like, so there's two answers, because people will ask me what my favorite movie is, and sometimes I'm, like, trying to, like, have, like, some, like, highbrow, like, oh, I like this artsy, whatever movie. So, like, my favorite movie from a filmmaking standpoint that I watch, I do watch a lot, um, that I think is, like, a perfect film is The Social Network, which is, like, the exact movie. Yeah. Um, that's my favorite movie. I've seen that as a child. Uh, yeah. That's my favorite movie when it comes to, like, I don't know, just, like, writing and story and filmmaking and just, like, cinematography. I, mean, I, just, I think that movie's, like, a perfect movie. But what's my favorite movie? Like, what's my movie? Or what's my movie I've seen a million times that I will watch over and over and over again is, like, Back to the Future. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Back to the Future is, like, a movie I, I can quote it, like, like the whole way through. I... Uh, uh, I the first the 1990s Ninja Turtle movie is another one I um, watch the movie yeah. all the time. Um, I had a, a a friend of mine I went to trade school with at Tech in Pennsylvania, and uh, he went on to kind of work in the hot rod community and build hot rods with people. And I get a picture sent to me one day, and he's working with Gene Winfield in out I want to say. 
California, Arizona, somewhere out there. And he's the picture he sent me is of the futuristic police car sitting, rotting in the desert. It's completely trash. Like it's just garbage trash just sitting in the desert. And he's working for the guy that built him. Like he was just sitting there at the shop and he those are sitting out back and he's restoring like six figure cars on the inside. That's crazy. And it was wild, right? Yeah, so that always stuck out to me because I man, I love Back to the Future. That's the one movie I watched way more than anything else. Uh, I thought what I thought was funny, I just watched the flash movie the other night. One of the things I thought was funny was in that alternate universe, Eric Stoltz was Marty McFly. I mean, you see, you see, I've not seen the Flash. You haven't seen the Flash movie yet? No. Is it on? It's, it's is on it, HBO now. Is it on HBO now? Yeah. Okay. Not HBO now. HBO Max. Max. <laughs> it's on. It's not. It's no, 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 Just Max now. Just Max. Sorry. It's just, just Max. Max. Not HBO Go. Not HBO Now. Not HBO Max. Just Max. Just Max. But okay. um, I didn't realize it was on Max. So I uh, get their shit straight. I don't yeah. think it's a very good movie, but I did. Laugh at it a few times. <laughs> yeah, I saw, I did see a scene with Nicolas Cage. It was like yeah. a YouTube short where he's like watching it on a laptop. And he goes, oh, great. I'm in this movie. Too bad nobody will ever watch it. And he shuts, shuts the computer and the short ends. So I've heard people talk about why that's in there. Go on a side tangent. It's based on at one point, I don't know what company or studio or who owned rights to Superman. Well, this Tim Burton was making a uh, Superman movie with Nicolas Cage as Superman, and they did test screenings. I mean, Tim, they got pictures of him. It was Kevin Smith. <laughs> Kevin Smith wrote. He wasn't making it. Tim okay. Burton But with that, the, there was a... There's if a I remember... Well, if I remember right, <laughs> there was a producer that stated he didn't want him to... There's a bunch of guidelines that he yeah. had behind it. That's why it never got they, made. There's a there's a there's a really great documentary okay. by uh, uh, um, uh, something Schnepp. I can't think of his first name. Oh. Anyway, um, but there's a really great documentary called "The Death of Superman." Uh, it's called "The Death of Superman: What Happened," and. Is that what it's called? The Death Superman, whatever? But it's a documentary about the making of that movie. Kevin Smith is like throughout the whole thing talking about because he because he wrote a script that he sits in front of a producer. And he, not only does he sit in front of a producer, he has to The Death of Superman Lives. The Death of Superman Lives, what happens to this? Uh, uh, Kevin Smith, this this particular producer doesn't read scripts. You have to read the script to him. So Kevin Smith writes a script, comes around this guy's house, is reading the script page by page. And he's like, all right, so Superman lands in the Fortress of Solitude, like, you know, outside the Fortress of Solitude. He's, like, walking into it. And he goes, no, 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 it's, it's too boring. Can he, like, get into a fight with a couple of polar bears before he goes in? And he's like, Superman fights polar bears. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to write this down. Okay. And then, like, continues on with the story. This, this producer's, like, giving him all these ideas. But, yeah, he had all these ridiculous guidelines and Tim Burton and the, the famous, the most famous thing about that is who was the produ- producer? Do you remember? I this? can't think of his name. He's also in the documentary, like acting, still talking like those ideas are great ideas, which is also yeah, very- yeah. So the the best part of that documentary, the most famous thing that came out of that documentary was that at the end of the movie, he wanted Superman to fight a giant mechanical oh. spider. Right. Yes. And, and he that's wanted- why there's a spider in the flash like that. 
So he wanted he he demanded that there be a giant mechanical spider, and that's where Kevin Smith drew the line. And he's like, I will not put Superman is not fighting a, a giant robotic spider at the end of this movie. He's just not doing it. So they scrapped the movie and they went away. That producer went on to make Wild Wild West with <laughs> Will Smith and the the villain that they fight at the end of the movie is a giant robotic spider. <laughs> so he is Kevin Smith's like at the in the documentary, Kevin Smith's like, so in the end of all of this, at least he got his giant fucking spider. Because <laughs> that's what he, that's what happened. He got his giant that he demanded that there be a spider in the movie. And Kevin Smith was like, This is not gonna happen. This is not gonna happen. It's just not. So, yeah, but he did get his spider because he put it in the Wild Wild West. So, what the fuck? So, whoever the producer was of Wild Wild West would be the guy that. Well, I imagine there's multiple. But, so, yeah, yeah of, I'm sure there's, there's multiple. Narrow that one down so. without going and watching the documentary. Now, um, so I am not a huge. I, I don't mind the Back to the Future movies. I'm not a huge Back to the Future uh, fan. I've seen them all. He's not seen them, but. I'm a fucking disgrace. Yeah. It's just part of me. Yeah, I'm. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm a big. I, I. I mean, I enjoyed them all. I enjoyed the Back to the Future movies. So, yeah, I. Um, I as far as stuff that I like watch on a regular basis, I will frequently rewatch Breathing Bad. Um, I just finished Better Call Saul. I saw. Uh, I've seen that. I have. I'm a huge comic book nerd and am like, you know, the superhero movie genre is a big thing of mine, of, of stuff that I've watched over the years. But here recently, I could care less anymore and feel like about any of it. Um, uh, I'm, uh, and then, you know, uh, Fast and the Furious Apologist. I do enjoy the Fast and the Furious movies. <laughs> I, I haven't seen yeah. the new one. I haven't seen the new one yet either, actually. I haven't seen uh, the new one. Yeah. So, uh, if you were my fiance's opinion, who has watched all of them several times over and loves them, it's not worth it until you get the rest of them. <laughs> the uh, uh, lately, I've been watching a lot of older stuff. Uh, I I went on a like a Hitchcock thing recently. I watched a bunch of Hitchcock movies. Um. Uh. I've been trying to watch more older movies lately to try and like cater my directing style a little bit differently. Um, but most of the time, it's just I, I've been reading a lot lately. I haven't really been watching a lot of stuff recently. Do you find yourself when you're watching a movie like being like, oh, I would have done that differently? I can't shut that off. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you do do it. You do. I, it. Like I, I. You're like, you know what? That shot would have been a lot better if it would have done. You know. I don't. I, I don't necessarily criticize in that fashion too harshly anymore. I used to, uh, but I, I don't necessarily criticize the film. Like I would do that better, but I will constantly pay attention to. Um, camera movement is like a thing that my brain won't shut off like how that camera moves and pans and or like long takes where things where it's not cutting you know like a scene that just goes on for like minutes on end and there's no cut that like will blow my mind sometimes like uh the opening scene to snake eyes with nicholas cage uh that fucking scene dude watch just watch like go back and watch man sure it's been you know forever since you've seen it <laughs> yeah. go back and watch the first 10 minutes of that movie and just 
watch it and realize that there's not a cut because it's fucking crazy. I'm sure there's, some, there's definitely got to be some hidden cuts in it, but he walks through an entire arena and talks to a bunch of people and does a bunch of stuff, goes down to the ring. There's a boxing match. The camera goes into the boxing match. There's a whole fight. The dude gets knocked out, but it was like, now he owes these people money, so he's leaving the place. The camera's falling him out. There's never a cut. We go, we follow him into the scene, we watch a whole boxing match, we follow him out of the scene, and then there's no cut. The camera's just <laughs> followed the whole time. That's awesome. All the time. There's a, uh, a movie called What Lies Beneath. Yeah, okay. Uh, it's Robert Zemeckis. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of that. It's, uh, it's, uh, is it Harrison Ford? Harrison Ford and Michelle Pfeiffer? Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's a movie that my mom watched a lot, uh, uh, and I never really cared for it. I'm not a huge fan of, like, I don't know, spousal... spousal. It's almost like uh, spousal... Horror. Yeah, it, it's, it's like spousal. he cheated on his wife, and then suspense. that woman died, and now she's haunting them or whatever. Yeah. But like, I was like the story itself, like I never really cared for, right, all that much. But my mom watched a lot. I watched that movie like last year. It's incredible. It is a masterpiece of a film. It blows <laughs> my mind how good of a movie that is. The story itself, like just on paper, I'm like meh. But the filmmaking in that is insane. Every scene is like a three to five minute scene that does not cut. There's never a cut. It's people talking and walking and they go from close up to medium to wide. All of a sudden it's all in just one shot, camera moves and blocking. Just people stepping into their close up or the camera pushing into their close up and pulling out into a wide, moving around the characters as they talk. It's incredible. The whole thing it changed how I, the, the way that I shot Macabre Mountain is very similar. I was just like, we don't have time to get coverage of everybody talking. Let's just you guys talk, and then the camera will move into your guys' conversation. You guys will walk around this way, we'll follow you here to then reveal these characters here having a conversation. Like, let's just try and do as much of this in one and just blocking and staging as much as we can because, like, it's so in the editing process. Infinitely easier to edit. It's just like, I got one shot. Wasn't Perfect. there a, uh, I believe, a war movie not too long ago that was released? 1917? The entire thing is the, one cut. Well, one, one shot. Yeah. It's it's a ton of hidden cuts. That movie's got like, I don't know how many cuts in the movie. There's It's very few in, in comparison to how movies are made. But they they hide the cuts in it, but it is supposed to be it's in the style of one continuous yeah, yeah. Like Birdman, did you watch that movie? I, I didn't. No, I don't think I did. I, I know the reference, but that, I didn't. That movie's all the same way. It's all one shot. Like, it's all in the style of one shot. Yeah. Because uh, they, they hide cuts. But, the, but, the, but when you do a movie... Where the where that's the, the style that you're shooting for is like all one shot. You still have shots that are five minutes without cut or something yeah. like that. There is only I think one feature length film in existence. I could be wrong. Somebody will probably tell me wrong. But that is truly one shot where the camera rolls for like ninety minutes and all this stuff happens. <laughs> the it's insane. And I, it's insane. And if I if I remember correctly, I think that movie was shot like three times before they like they rehearse, 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 like weeks on end rehearsing. And then when they called action, they had to do it three times before they got the movie. But, wow. Wow. Insane. So, oh, we only made it ten minutes in this time. Like I can start over. Yep. <laughs>
At least we didn't make it almost to the end like the last one. <laughs> so my 80s movies um, that I, are, and they're all, they're Back to the Future is in that group because it was 85. But in 85, two of my favorite movies came out in 85, and that is Clue and uh, Fletch. Those never seen Fletch. Clue's great. <laughs> I just watched Clue for the first time just like a couple years ago. Really? Yeah. Okay. Those are, that was great. Those are, yeah, those, those are, those are two of my favorites, Clue and Fletch. And there's, there's the Clue documentary is really good on Screenbox. And, um, I've been listening to a, 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 another podcast with, um, the filmmaker of the documentary. And he is doing a podcast where they are they are watching a minute of Clue, and then like thirty minutes dissecting that minute, <laughs> and and they do it every week, and it's ninety seven minutes long. So there's ninety seven podcasts, and they're only to like minute like forty eight or something like That's that. Crazy, but they, yeah, they watch, and they even did like the beginning, like the credits. So, like, the first, like, three minutes are like, okay, well, it's still a black screen. <laughs> I'll be honest, because that was your original concept for this podcast was doing that. <laughs> it was. A similar thing for that with the Star Wars movies. I got, like, five episodes in before I was like, I can't fucking do this anymore. Yeah. I had to skip ahead to be like, where is it not fucking credits? Yeah. <laughs> I enjoyed hearing him talk about it, but I was like, I want to hear something that's not just you talking about other stuff while talking about oh, the credits of it. The Clue podcast. Yeah. 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 They and and the funny thing is is that like the um and then those are legitimately like I I Clue and Fletch, I can't tell you how many times I've seen the two of them, but it's funny because the the two guys that are doing the clue podcast once the filmmaker for the documentary the other guy actually wrote a book about back to the future oh cool and then um and has a weekly back to the future podcast and then there's a guy that has a weekly fletch podcast and they had him on so they but they all share a love of those like three movies Back to the Future, Clue, and Fletch. And they all talk about how those 80s movies, um, and they even lump in sometimes like Beverly Hills Cop and uh, 48 Hours, where like the soundtracks were cheesy and the action was kind of cheesy. And But yeah, they go through all of that. But the documentary guy, um, when they're talking about different things like filming stuff, it's interesting because he talks to like the he talked to the filmmakers yeah of Clue the ones that are still alive and he talked to the casting director and he's talked to some of the actors not all of them would talk to him um, but they go through how they filmed like Clue and what was um, what was improvised and what wasn't. Um, and then I, and I didn't realize this cause uh, it was 1985. I wasn't going to see Clue at the theaters, but, um, cause I was only seven, but Clue, when they released the movie, it didn't do very well in the theaters, obviously. And they, they blamed it a lot on, if you watch it now, you get all the endings. Right. But at the time, they had at, alternate endings for each. At the time, depending on what movie you went to, you only got to see one ending. 
So, like... I only know it seeing the multiple endings. Yeah, so, like, you could literally go to a theater, and your friend could go to a different theater, and one of you might have saw the ending where Miss White is like, flames, flames, but the other person didn't see that, because that ending didn't happen. That ending was the Scarlet ending, where she killed everybody. You know, so they didn't see the improvised thing with Miss White, saying flames or miss peacock's a woman yeah. or like because they were all different endings and they didn't they didn't put them all together until they released it on home video and then everybody went out to go get it because they didn't realize that they were that's why it was so much more successful once they released it out on home video brilliant way of doing it yeah because they put all four endings or all three endings there was actually a fourth ending shot too but they didn't they oh, really? they never released that. did they did they advertise that there'd be different endings everywhere but they was did it? once um they did all, for the home video but they did not they didn't tell anybody they didn't tell anybody they before to, they went see, to the that's, theater. that's amazing uh, yeah that's a yeah, that's something you couldn't do, but I feel like the movie would have done way better nowadays. It makes yeah. sense, though. For they should have always, yeah, with, exactly. With Clue, they should have just released all the endings. Like I, I would have done all the endings. That makes an excellent point. Yeah. With it being every based off the play. board game, yeah. Every time you play, it changes. Yeah. Theoretically, if you go to a different theater, every time you watch it, it changes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. that's something that doesn't exist anymore when you think about. Located at 430 East Broadway in beautiful downtown Logansport, on the bonus level, the second floor of bonus pints is the Lantern. The Lantern is a glowing light in a small town. They're a shop filled with art, clothing, books, and all your current Halloween needs. They are currently carrying cat skull candles, black cat drinking glasses, Halloween-themed dresses, and shirts, and some 3D horror decor that will scratch your Halloween itch. Check out their Facebook page for when they are open and what new items they are stocking daily. Movies like succeeding after theaters? They don't anymore because uh, uh, there's no home video. There's no DVD sales. They don't make, they don't make that money. Like if a movie didn't quite make its budget back, you know, in in the theater, mm-hmm. it doesn't make it back. You the 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 royalties you get off streaming are pennies in comparison to what you got off DVD sales. Uh, and uh, um, where am I? Matt Damon. <laughs> Matt Damon. Uh, <laughs> uh, Matt Damon was on Hot Ones uh, recently, and he was talking about that, like that idea of the the. There's this. You know, mid-budget range film that doesn't exist anymore, like the Forrest Gumps and the, uh, like the the twenty million dollar movie doesn't really exist. It exists in certain genres, like in horror and in in action, like John Wick being maybe a you know John Wick was twenty. The first movie was twenty million dollars. I think they made it before. Yeah, like, now the last one you know, was yeah. But, they, but they but but like but still like that twenty that twenty to even like a hundred million dollars like that 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 gap doesn't really exist it exists in netflix original stuff and like the like the like streaming service original movies like those movies kind of exist there but those movies used to be the sweet spot that they made everything in because that movie would make a good chunk of its money in theaters and it would make a heck of a lot more money 
uh, over over VHS and DVD sales over over the years. Right. They would right. build up a following. Like like Forrest Gump did great, but then it did incredible when it went to VHS. Like like right. It's right. just and that that physical media yeah. doesn't exist anymore for a movie to make its money back. So studios are like all or nothing. We're going to put our chips into these big giant blockbuster things, but they're not making their money back on them anymore. And they're hurting because of streaming services aren't as lucrative as, as I think. That's why Max is a great example of like, there's consolidating all these stream services into one over here with Max because they're like, oh, we had Discovery Plus and we had AMC and we had HBO and we had all this stuff. And now we're like, we're going to push all this stuff together under one umbrella and charge a little bit more for it. Instead of and then it's still kind of shitty because I I not. have Discovery Plus and when they did that whole HBO thing mm-hmm. or the Max and it and yeah. Discovery Plus, we didn't get everything from Discovery Plus, so I still have to keep my Discovery <laughs> Plus subscription. I am simply like a weird like trial thing they're doing right now too, where they only have a handful of their shows and it says limited time only on it. I'm like, what does yeah. that mean? Yeah. So and and they don't get I mean, they don't pay as much. No, as the, no that, that's why the strike is happening right now. Right. Because, it's because when an actor was in a movie and then that movie's DVD sold, they made money off of that forever. You know, they made royalties off that. Yeah. Sure. Sure. They, don't, they don't do that. And then now with the, also with the actors, aren't they also striking? Because wasn't there a whole thing where they were talking about trying to AI every extra, basically? They, like, I mean, they are. That's something they've been doing for oh, a while now. They're, they, I was going to say, I heard that as a thing that like they're talking about doing, not that it has. They're been. not talking about I mean, they they're talking about doing it more. But they have already started implementing uh, basically purchasing someone's likeness. So they've already been... Oh, like, yeah, I knew that. They've been, like, they've been Bruce doing Willis. That. Yes, they've been they've been doing that stuff for a for a little while now, and they're seeing like, hey, this is going in a direction that we don't like. Like you guys, like because once you purchased it, that means you don't get a job. There's a great documentary on HBO that just came out called Telemarketers. Have you guys watched that? No, I have not. I saw it on the list, but yes. I haven't watched three it. episodes. Absolutely I was fantastic. Say, let me add that to a uh, <laughs> but uh, just a so- little side note in in that. Um, one of the it's it, the documentary is about it's specifically about two telemarketers that worked for a company in the early 2000s uh, that was like super shady and it sheds a whole light on what that that industry looks like and who's in charge of it and how that money is distributed and who's really in charge of it and it's mind blowing it's awesome I love it uh, but there's a r- weird aspect that ties into what we're talking about, which is that nowadays those same companies that are doing those telemarketing are now using robot voices, you know, like, yeah. But the voices that you hear are the guys that have been working for them for years. They just recorded all their voices, had to sit into a booth and record all the lines and all the stuff, and then fired those guys and then are using their voices and don't have to pay them anymore to do all these telemarketing. And and this is this is like something that's in the tail end of the documentary. It's just like oh, oh, and they're doing this, and like some of those guys are dead, and they're still like, hey, this is you know John calling from whatever company, and like that guy's been dead for three years, and it's still his voice calling. calling oh these people. my god. God, wow. Seeing obviously it's so new in my eyes in the acting thing. I didn't even think of it in that aspect of someone like because Bruce Willis did it because he has what. Dirty Scott, yeah, yeah, dementia, yeah, some kind of yes. I'm not sure what, what condition he's got, but yeah, but, 
I would never thought about the fact that once he passed, I mean, obviously we have the movies, but then that they'll continue to make new ones with his ass. Yeah. I mean, I mean, in there's a lot of cameos in the end of the flash. Like, I don't know if you've seen the stuff, but there's, 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 there's a lot of, there's a lot of cameos and there's some dead actors that they bring back for the, really? for the end of that. And it's a little distasteful. And it's just like, it's like slightly like, oh, yeah, because the uh, Reeves, yeah, yeah. Both, both of them, yeah, yeah, sure. uh, uh, yeah they bring yeah. back George Reeves and Christopher Reeves. And George Reeves, I'm pretty sure, was a suicide when yes. he passed away. Yes, and, like I think, I think his was a suicide, and a lot of it was due to the productions of Superman and what it did to his life and all this stuff. There was a lot of like very directly related to that character. They're like, oh, let's bring him back from this movie. <laughs> But that I don't know. Wow. One shot. Yeah. One shot of a movie. Wow. But so it's just like, you know, I, there's there's a lot of I don't know, so, lot of definitely gray area in bringing dead actors back. I was just saying, yeah. though, I have a question like with um, what is it? Grand Moff Tarkin in Rogue One. That he got, they got the entire state's permission. Uh-huh. To me, I feel like that's a good thing. As someone who works with movies and does all that thing, I'd like to hear your opinion. Well, my opinion on that is I love that character a lot. Uh, I don't know if you guys have ever read the Tarkin book, but it's so... I've only heard snippets but, of watching YouTube But Tarkin is such an, like, an amazing character. And my honest opinions of that, of them from like a moral standpoint, I found it to be okay because of the character and the continuity of the story they were telling. So the character, it made sense for the character to be there. Yeah. But I would have just kind of spent Middleton as Tarkin and just would have done it that way. Because <laughs> I think Ben Middleton's an incredible actor. And they should just been like, this guy's Tarkin. Instead of having him be the, the guy who works and does everything that Tarkin would have done anyway. Like, that make, makes make sense. Tarkin. Because I don't really like Rogue One. Uh, but oh come on! I love Rogue. One. Uh, no, I don't really care for Rogue. One. Person I've met. Uh, I yeah, yeah. yeah, I, I love Rogue. I said that yesterday to somebody too. I was like, what? but uh, him and new. I think that Rogue One is one of the best looking Star Wars movies. I think that the action in it's incredible. I think that the droids are awesome. Uh, uh, Donnie Yen is awesome, but I don't care at all about anybody. <laughs> I think that the story that's very told nice. is very weak and it's an amazing spectacle of a film in that final moment with Darth Vader just murdering everyone is awesome. <laughs> that's like that's like watching a World War II movie and then some Nazi soldier just comes in and kills a ton of Americans at the end of it and you're like, yeah! <laughs> I don't understand. Like In the context of the story, it makes it doesn't really make a lot of sense to have it, but it's incredible. I love that. I mean, well, when you say in the context of the story... Oh, wait, you're saying with that scene in particular. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, my, my bad. I was... Like, I was here's, thinking of the here's movie. Here's the story of Rogue One, and, and like you know, like the yeah. plans of the Death Star and all stuff. And then at the very end, they're like, "Yeah, oh." And then the villain comes in and murders everyone. And you're like, "Why did we end with like on such a like like if you if you had no context to what that was?" <laughs> yeah, I see what you're saying. It took my brain a second. I see what you're saying. I remember, um, I remember when that movie comes out, and I think I, I can't even remember where I worked at at the time, that but I came into work. Year. I came into work and I was like, um, somebody said, did you go see Rogue One this weekend? And I said, yeah. And uh, I said, I thought it was really good. And they were like, oh, I just, I couldn't, I, I just can't get past it. And I said, you can't get past it. No, I love Star Wars, but I just can't get past 
that they they killed everybody at the end. Everybody died. And I said, you've seen the other Star Wars movies. And yeah, have you seen the very first one that ever came out? A New Hope, episode four. Yeah. Were any of the people in Rogue One in episode four? Well, no. And I said, I know, because they all had to die. (laughs) And she's like, I think it was a girl, and she was just like, well, I mean, and I was like, no, like, literally, they had to die. It wasn't like they were on a different, like, spectrum of the universe. It wasn't, they weren't on a different plane. Like, they were literally right there. And and in, in episode four, they're like, a lot of people died to bring these plans to the rebellion. Well, no, that, that line wasn't in that. That line was in, uh, that was for the second Death Star. Many Bothans died to bring oh, information. Okay. That was a different That was a different one? Yeah, that was. Okay, I thought it was that one. No, because I, I originally went on that same tangent when the movie came out, and then I did my research and felt like. My, I only have one question, though, because I know they've done so many edits and special editions and re editions. Was it at one point? No. Well, my guess, my best annoyance is. That Rogue One ends, and then and then A New Hope is like picks up right there. Yeah, yeah. So Rogue, or so so Darth Vader murders all these people. They like hand off the baton to to the next ship or whatever. The door shuts. He sees them leave. He boards their ship in A New Hope, and she's like, "You're on a diplomatic mission to Alderaan." He's like, "Good, just in the action." Yep, just on. I've never thought in that context. <laughs> uh, one thing I was, I, I don't know if a lot of people noticed uh, the blue squadron. Does. Like all the all the X wings are blue squadron. There's no blue squadron in New Hope. Yeah, it's, it's a red. red. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and then uh, gold squadron, right? Yeah, and cool. then greens, the bombers, yada yada. But yeah, there's no blue squadron, and then. Uh, when they shot A New Hope, there was a Blue Squadron originally. So a lot of that old footage they used is they re- yeah, yeah, no, that's that's cool. yeah, it's but, yeah. So you can watch the movie and if you pay attention to the X Wings colors, you'll notice it. There's a book that came out alongside Rogue One, Catalyst. I don't know if you read, read that. I didn't read that. No. I saw where that uh, came out, but I didn't read it. Catalyst takes place before Rogue One, and it's Jin Erso's story. That the story in Catalyst is is her arc, like it's who she becomes. It's her, it's her becoming this rep. That story is a is a story. Rogue One is like she's already who she is, and she's still that same person at the end of it. There's no like. That's no, the only thing I wish we could have saw. Yeah, like uh, um, um, Saw Gerrera, like his. Like he's like his character is awesome. There's a lot of really cool shit in that movie. I just yeah. think that the story that's told is kind of meh. But I, See, I guess I've always I, looked my at favorite of all of the new Star Wars movies is the Last Jedi, and I know that people you know hate that movie. So. I hate that movie. <laughs> <laughs> so me, me, and my brother-in-law have had arguments after arguments about it, and I've come to this point. And he still agrees with this part. One of them had to be the worst. We both agree that it is the worst. But he thinks it's not as bad as everyone says. And the only thing that I can't get past is the whole casino scene is, in my opinion, is pointless. 
It's no, no, no. So that's the only thing it does is world building. Yeah. If you, if exactly, if you were to take that completely out of the story, it does not matter. Yeah, but then we don't get it. Here's the interesting. Benicio looks well. Yeah. So I talked to, (laughs) I taught. I was just talking this week to. I'll give him a shout out. Hopefully he's listening. Aaron Click uh-huh. downstairs at the record farm. And um he was he said the same thing. My favorite out of the 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 new three is a la- the last Jedi. And I'm like, how? I just it's not even even the acts for me. Even the acts not even it's not even for me. I, I like that is my Least favorite of the new three. It's I the, would say it's probably it's my least bottom. favorite out of all of them. It's probably it's not below a Phantom Menace. It is my I, child. It's my, no, you can fight me on yeah, that one. It's my third favorite in the in the bunch. Uh, yeah, it's not even close to that for me. It's 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 like way up there because I'd rather it does something. It, it does it does new things with the Force, and it takes. Uh, it's mo- the, 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 the reason why the, I can, I could I could agree with you. The casino stuff is whatever. And the, the, the animal rights aspect of that whole thing is like, eh, it's whatever. Like, like that, that side story isn't, it's just isn't, it, too it, much it, time. It, it, isn't it, very, it. it isn't very strong, but everything with, uh, with Kylo and Ray is incredible throughout that entire, the entire thing. You will agree with that. Everything yes. with, with, uh, uh, um, with her and Luke training and all of that, like everything, all, all those, all those things are incredible. I, my biggest, my biggest gripe with the entire movie is the fact that they were like, oh yeah, by the way, we know that you went through this whole entire Skywalker saga, but everybody has the Force. But everybody Wait, does have the Force. Yeah, hold on. That's something I didn't. We didn't bring up in the Star Wars episode. Everybody does have hey, the Force. Hey, you're like a Skywalker. And I'm not trying to spoil <laughs> it. Means, yeah. I was about to say, I'm not trying to spoil anything for Ahsoka, but oh, there yeah, are. I know, there's. I know. Brett or uh, Tony still hasn't watched Ahsoka. Um, well, it's fine. I know that she's a Jedi. I mean, I know that. Like, well, what I was getting at is, I don't want to. Just, I just don't want to spoil any specific. Yeah, entire school of Jedi. They do. They do. They do. Yeah. Well, technically, everyone's force sensitive. My yeah. my thing that upset me with yeah. Dad's aspect of that is, yes, everyone's force sensitive, but Ray picked up on everything so easily just being introduced to it in the seventh movie. Her first movie, right? She's she able to force mind for it, though. She was literally created for it. Well, okay, yes, yeah, but she was only because they retconned it all and was like, exactly like people are mad because everybody has the force. So, no, show Palpatine. What I'm arguing, <laughs> what I'm arguing is that she was out of the bat as soon as she found out about the force, essentially, she is so strong in it, which to me, seeing everything in Star Wars previous. You have to train in the force unless you're someone like Anakin. You're someone like Palpatine. You have. I still think talent. You do it all things. I know there is. Yeah, but you don't need to be a Skywalker. No, I'm not cool. saying directly those. I'm saying there are specific ones, and unless they would have gave us an actual explanation of how she became or how her bloodline is so powerful in the force when she is supposedly comes from a nobody. 
Now, I my problem was, and and it never had to do with Skywalker. My problem was is that I I had believed in my own mind and probably cooped it up myself. That's what everything. That's the problem. That that yeah, true. Right? That that you had like there were chosen ones that had many chlorians that and those that were born with that special have ability. You, have were, you ever seen uh, or were Jedi? And like it didn't matter what race or species you were or whatever, but it was those were the So you're were, getting into the complicated point so, in the prequels where they start explaining Metachlorians. So then like so then Last Jedi comes out and they're like you know, everybody's got it. And I'm just like, wait a minute, hold on. So so nobody's special then. Okay. Then no, got nobody's it. special. Do you live on Earth? Yeah, nobody's special. <laughs> yeah. Have you um, have you seen have like, you seen okay. have you seen No Country for Old Men? No. No. Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> no Country for Old Men. You know how you know how you don't see the shootout? Yeah. I know everybody just fucking dies. Yeah. And like you don't really know what happened. And Tommy Lee Jones is like, eh, well, I guess fuck it, whatever. I'm retiring. It's like, you know what happens, though. Yeah. Like, you assemble but, it. But, but the whole movie, you're building up to, like, this big shootout. Yeah. And then the, you don't get to see it. Because he, he gets there after. Yeah. You don't get to see it. Yeah. I'd have to but see it's incredible, the- right? <laughs> I mean, like, I think you're just so wrapped up. That movie, you're just so wrapped up in everything that happens. <laughs> I'd have to see the movie to understand this. That you were waiting for it. So when right. <laughs> And you're like, oh my god, it's done. You <laughs> think <laughs> about it the next day, like, uh, so yeah, so that's where I'm at with the Star Wars thing. I like it because I really love Ryan Johnson a lot. Like, I love every movie he's made, and I love. I enjoy Knives Out and Glass Onion. I, uh, so my man. knowledge, I think, both. the Last Jedi's. Granted, I'm bad at any actor, director, or anybody's names besides probably Christopher Nolan's, but I think that's the only Ryan Johnson movie I've seen. Knives Out was fantastic. Knives Out's great. Glass yeah. Onion's awesome. Have you seen Looper? Mm. Yeah. Nope. Looper's, Looper's so good. Brick. Have you seen Brick? Mm. Brick's his first movie, so those remind you of Brick. Brick's uh, Joseph Gordon Levitt. Uh, he's like in high school and his girlfriend dies, and he's. But she's murdered, and he's like a kind of a. It's a kind of a like a neo noir movie where he's like trying to investigate a murder. A super awesome movie. I didn't see it. I have seen it. Um, I love the dialogue in the movie. It's really weird. They, they talk really. The the slang is very odd. You can, yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. Okay. Uh, he and then his, the only other movie he made is called. Um, um, it's called Brothers Bloom with. Um, the Brothers Bloom, yeah, the Brothers Bloom with uh, uh, Matt Damon and Heath Ledger. No, that's going to be a weird team up. This is an alternate universe here, but it's, <laughs> it's the Brothers Bloom with um, uh, who's the Hulk currently? Uh, Mark Ruffalo. It's Mark Ruffalo. I think you were thinking of the Brothers Grimm. Yeah, Brothers Grimm. Oh, okay. Adrian Brody. Yeah, Adrian, Adrian Brody. Mark. Mark yeah. Ruffalo, Rachel Weyes, Rinko so what am I thinking of? Brothers it, Grimm. It, okay, it is Brother Grimm. Okay, yeah. Brothers Grimm, awesome, uh, awesome, awesome movie. Like was, but he's 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 a really really great writer. But I I really like Last Jedi mostly because it does very new interesting things with the Force. 
uh, uh, and uh, it's really good. Like I like I like all the 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 I like I like all of it. I like Broom Boy. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> Broom Boy was cool. I I enjoyed that. I did not enjoy Broom Boy. <laughs> I did. I just did. Um, but yeah. So anyway, we didn't see what he does with that broom. I know, broom. right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I you. and I caught I caught the whole reference to the Last Jedi in Ahsoka this week, and that I apparently did. What are you talking about? The the Ahsoka, like when she's talking to Sabine. Oh, the Force moves through everything. Yeah, oh, yeah. And everybody and everything. You just I mean every dig deep that every every Jedi. I mean, but that's also been stated basically in other movies without saying those exact right. words. I mean, Qui Gon Jinn basically says it with when he explains midichlorians. Every living organism yeah. has midichlorians. It just depends on how many midichlorians you have, and that's I know people have. Their own arguments with midichlorians, but well, it's just blood. You know, Anakin basically. Anakin's, you know, he's made of midichlorians. I mean, basically, he was, I mean, he's he's basically made by Palpatine anyway. He is. It's yeah. not basically. It is right. Well, I mean, it's it's never it's never one hundred percent, but he's basically the most evil head turned nods of telling you that you are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. There's so many I, head turns in that scene. Since where they, talking since about Disney like, deleted Legends. It's not. I mean, it is official, but it's not fully written out there. Yeah. Which, that's why I love Dave Filoni and John Favreau, because they just pull things from Legends. They're like, nope, we're making it canon again. Good at healing powers, just to make Anakin look further like a dickhead. <laughs> he joined the dark side to get him, and it's like, no, that's a Jedi thing. It's like, you, you went the wrong way to heal people, bro. Huh? The healing power thing is annoying, but I do love, like, I do love that that week on on uh, uh, fucking God damn it, what's the show? Mandalorian. No. On, the, on the Mandalorian, you had Grogu heal, like uh, heal the the creature thing. Right? Was was that what it was? Grogu does it in that week's episode, and then the then the the final. Or the, the, the Rise of Skywalker comes out, and then Ray heals. And in the yeah. theater, I went, oh, good thing they showed that in, in Mandalorian. Yeah. <laughs> 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 it's come here and do this shit, too. It <laughs> was special a moment ago. <laughs> if they wouldn't have had Grogu do it first, because he had a cute little baby. You had to do it. Like, yeah. Oh, wow. So cool. Uh, she doesn't mean I already accepted it. So that's yeah. fine. <laughs> and then when either, either one of them did it, my brain just goes to the Jedi being the good side healers. I'd expect them to have a way of healing shit. And hey, Anakin was not allowed to save, save uh, uh, his mom. Not his mom, but. It will. Well, well, maybe, but yeah, they, but uh, his wife, his Palpatine, or uh, fucking Padme. Padme. Yeah. That's what I could say. It was Palpatine, man. Yeah. What? Well, what? That he was wasn't allowed to. It was that. Uh, well, he was cut up. I was reason she died. She died of a. Or she, she, well, she, she, I was gonna say she died during birth, which, in my understanding, during watching Revenge of the Sith, isn't that while he's basically being reconstructed because she's giving birth after the fight? Yeah, but she she just physically gave up because there was nothing technically wrong with her, and that's when he screamed for in the moment like, that she died. Don't go save your friends. You know he didn't go save us. Neither one of them did. 
But Luke didn't save us, or Luke went and saved, or Luke did go and save his friends, and you know he's, you know, he can get dying for it. At the end of stand, they're not using a fourth, but she's dying. Like they can heal. Why didn't nobody heal? (laughs) I mean, you do have an avid point there. You you have a valid point there. They're a bunch of dicks. Yeah, I mean that is they're a bunch of dicks. They are a bunch of a bunch of dicks. A bunch of dicks. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the new—they're a bunch I'm, of self-righteous I'm assholes. I'm trying to figure out who the two. I don't know that they're really cis. They're not Sith, so so. Do you watch the animated series? The male, no, I didn't. The male is a the male used to be a Jedi, and you can tell that because of the fact that the female. I, I'm bad with their names, so well, I apologize. Who no, knows who he is? Yeah, yeah. Did I miss that line? Yeah, he said this lightsaber was constructed. Oh yes. Okay. Yeah, I saw that. Only one other person and one other battle one. But that was in the third episode, so I'm thinking back to. No, that was the third episode. That was second. Second. Was it the second? I'm I'm real bad about keeping things in line. Yeah. But. Um. But yeah. So he is a. He used to be a Jedi. I don't think he ever fully became a Sith. Because he makes, he never makes, me- like, when they talk in the first episode, I can't remember what, I'm bad remembering exact dialogue, but I know when they bring up uh, Jedi and all of that stuff, he just, he blatantly states, I'm not a Jedi. No Jedi. He uses yeah. the same line as so. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, but a lot of people are theorizing that he's a gray Jedi. They are gray Jedi. I don't. I wouldn't put him as gray Jedi like in the animated series. No, where they're bad guys that just are. Sick. They're mercenaries. Yeah. Their own thing. Yeah. I. I think. Yeah, they're kind of their own thing. I don't think they're Sith. Now I, I have a question Sith. for you since he's walked away real quickly. Murak. Well, both of you guys. Um, the the third guy. I have a very negative opinion about. So all right. Well, I just want. There's only supposed to be two. No, no, because everybody on the that's always is, been broken. So don't bring that up. Everybody on the internet is begging that it's Galen Merrick, Star Killer. No, I am. He is freaking tired. He voices. Yeah, only, yes, okay, but that same guy voices so many exactly. other people. But everybody is just clamoring. Do you know what the other people? Are, oh you know what the other thing people are clamoring that it is? Ezra. Yeah. They're saying how was Ezra when he blasted off with Thrawn? Look at Ezra's posture when he's in that. I don't care how. No, listen to me. He's standing straight up. He's got a thicker build. The Maroc dude's a wiry, hunched over weird. It's not the same body. Yeah, it's not the same body. Didn't mean to interrupt. Sorry. No, you're good. You're good. But that's it. It's not the same thing. Everybody wants it to be something completely. He needs to be his own character, and then they're going to complain about it. Like they're going to. I so I love the uh, the Force Unleashed. I love Star Killer. I love all of that. But trying to shove him into what is now like what is going on and how they have everything established, you you would be. Force you would be forcing it so hard it would break fucking everything. Yeah. So that yeah. can't be the way it is. And now I will hold the discussion since <laughs> he hasn't seen any of Ahsoka. Hopefully you didn't hear us yelling down the hole. <laughs> that is true. I did get pretty loud. I do that pretty often. Um, what do you think? I'm gonna ask this. What does everybody think about the uh, 97 uh, X Men 97 cartoon coming back? When when does it drop out? Um, 
There's a. It's sometime soon. Yeah, it's soon. I think it's the next Marvel. Yeah. Show. I just yeah, I think so. I just want to see Wolverine punch fucking Scott again. <laughs> I'm curious <laughs> where it's going to pick up. If it's going to pick up, because Xavier died at the end of the original the run, original right? Run. Yeah. So I'm curious to if it's going to pick up X Men '97. I'm I'm curious if it's, if it's going to pick up there because that last season of the show, if I remember correctly, is like a different producer and studio that made it. And so some of the decisions that were made during that, there was like some back and forth on whether or not this show was going to like retcon all of that and just pick up where the kind of the season before that ended. So really? Yeah. Okay. So you didn't give me exactly besides look up X-Men 97, which I'll be our Jamie this podcast. <laughs> so the first thing I looked at was when is it come or is it still coming out in the only thing we have is sometime in early 2024. Okay. Oh, okay. Wow. so they pushed it all the way. Was back. there something you wanted me to specifically to look up? No, I just I thought the release date was soon. I thought it was like in the next month or two. What year is it? It's like they're releasing all the toys. Yeah. Um. Well, see, and that's that's the thing with Dune right now too. Like they pushed Dune back, but all of the marketing material says still that it comes out November third or whatever. Oh, really? And okay, like all of like the, you know they've really been releasing all these trailers because the thing with <clears throat> with a movie uh, when you when you look at the production budget of a film when it when you look at that you actually double that amount most of the time because whatever they spend to make the movie, they spend the same amount to market that movie. I've heard that. So, so you can almost always just double it because they, they, because they, they are required, I think to release the budget for the film, but they're not required to release the marketing budget for the film. So Assumption is you just double the budget because the bigger the movie, the more money they can spend on marketing. Right, right, right. Um, is that why George Lucas was such a genius for selling marketing, like licensing rights and oh, oh, holding on to them himself? Yeah, yeah, uh, holding on and to the toys, the, and yes. that fun shit. Yes, the and and that is the, because of him they created an entire different model. I mean, we were talking earlier about uh, I think before the podcast about RoboCop. Yeah, um, being like kind of marketed towards kids because all the toys and stuff. That's because of Star Wars. I mean, every single movie that came out had a toy line that dropped with it, and T-shirts and comic yeah, books. and that's and, all because of George Lucas and Star Wars. Because you just never know. If this movie takes off, the merchandise is what's going to make yeah. all the money. Right, right. So take you back to your question about X Men '97 with uh, Fester X dying at the end. With what I'm looking up here in the series. Uh, final episode, Xavier was taken from Earth by Lalandra, bidding farewell to his X-Men. However, it wasn't his love for Lalandra that led to his departure, but rather a devastating attack, the consequence- consequences of which may reshape the entirety of the X-Men's world in the revived series. So he didn't die. He, he just got on. taken away from Earth. Okay. I've not seen the original series. I don't know He's anything. I'm, I'm re-watching I'm, it right now. I barely know <laughs> Are you any- watching it? Yeah. No. My- only knowledge with X-Men, besides what little I'm reading with the comics now, is all of the Fox universe, which I know is hit and miss on how people it's take a it. Nightmare. Yes, exactly. I, I, good old Fox. You know, y'all love I, you know, Deadpool in it. Yeah. yeah. I love, without a mouth. I love, uh, 
X-Men a lot. And the Fox X-Men movies have always been a love-hate relationship with me. Like, I really, like, I love Hugh Jackman as Wolverine. I think he's great. But I also think that he's not that character. <laughs> like, like, he's not the Wolverine from the comic books. Like, he's not, you know, he, he doesn't really embody the first few, definitely not. Yeah. So, as more so, more so later on for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, Logan, Logan's incredible. Yeah. It, it's yeah. incredible, too. It's incredible, like, from a comic book standpoint, but also just from the world they created and the characters they created. Like, I mean, yeah. there's an amazing send off for the character, even though he's coming back in Deadpool. And, yeah. Uh, but, but, like, but if you hear of how they explain it, Logan takes place in an alternate universe and therefore. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I, I, I love that he's coming back in Deadpool and I love that Deadpool is part of the MCU. Like, I'm I, so excited. I don't really, like, I have this, you know, I don't know. I, I, I'm definitely feeling like a superhero fatigue, which is crazy because I'm just like a giant comic book fan. I owned a comic book store for a while. I, I, like, I've been reading comics my whole life. I love these characters. And I, it, it's not that I'm having comic book movie fatigue so much as it is. I'm sick of watching shitty comic book movies. It's That's like, what I was about to ask you. Is, is it the shitty movies or is it the fatigue of the superheroes? I think the movies the shows. Are, like, I like uh 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 secret invasion was just a just a just a letdown i love that comic book run so much i've not read the comic book run and looking at when i watched the, the tv show every week i was excited for the next episode but towards the end i got to a point where i was like i just need to finish it yeah this just needs yeah, this needs a, to yeah. end and i just I just need this. I just need to see the end to see what's going on because it got to a point where it's just shitty. And it wasn't <laughs> shitty. It just didn't serve a purpose. It didn't serve a purpose. And that final, to me, that equals shitty. That final, um, the final episode is so stupid. It doesn't serve a purpose, then it's just overall like, fucking you shitty. Had, you had two characters that had like really big giant arc move, movements in their conversation only to find out that that's not the character it's this other character so the whole conversation we had doesn't mean anything right <laughs> right and then right. and then you created a, just a really stupid fight in it that cost a lot of money and that's definitely they were like holding their budget for that i fight think scene. that fight was not really i i enjoyed seeing gaia get the powers I don't think it's really needed because I don't know how we're going to go from there. I just, I just think it's dumb to just. I know that they're shapeshifters, so they're like shapeshifting into whatever ability they're using. But like the Drax arm is like, what? What is it? That's the part that didn't make sense to. Like, I get that they're shapeshifters and they're getting DNA from other uh, oh beings God, in Drax's arm. <laughs> that's my thing. Why wouldn't it just take the scroll arm and jack it up? Yeah. More, more like. Full transformations. Like, we could have watched Drax duke it out with the Hulk. You know, we could have watched full... Or do that, yeah. Uh, but also, like, why not pick some of the villains on the battlefield? Let them just fuck good guys. Why ain't she rocking Thanos' arm? Well, right. well, at one point, he does use um, the Doctor Strange-esque villain... The oh, what's his name? I can't think of his name. Yeah, but he does have any, but he, yeah. but it, but his hand turns into, and he has the rings on on the hand. I'm like, 
Oh, where the rings come from? When you just make well, they generate change rings into their clothes. They yes. do simulate clothing, but it's so. Is that to say that every scroll's naked and they make up their own clothes? <laughs> yes. Yes. yes, exactly. I'll say yes. Yeah, it's kind of like you know in the Sony yeah, universe where Electro can go into the uh, power grid but keep his clothing. But yeah. but with Gaia, it's like. Where do you go from there? Now you have a, a being on this. She's you know, way more powerful than everything else. Here's the thing: where I, I, I admit that everybody will make that because Galactus is going to eat her. Powerful ever, but she's not because she's not experienced with any of those, and it takes so much concentration to focus that she couldn't maintain that for an actual battle with any but, one of those individual heroes. But like, she can by almost all. How do you how do you get the abilities of Captain Marvel? When Captain Marvel got her abilities from because it it genetically altered her, it was the blood. She technically it's, had. I was gonna say it's, it's the same concept with the whole She Hulk and Bruce Banner's part of their yeah, genetics. That, that, well, makes well, that would make sense. This this well, is like that alters her genetics, therefore making well, yeah, it part they're, of they're her they're DNA. Also, but they're also related. They're cousins. Well, I'm saying with, their, I'm saying you know, with their Miss, I'm saying with, the same with right, but I'm saying like, even at the end of that show they try to do the whole it, basically like, for her to have Captain Marvel's power, she would have to be exposed to the same energy, yeah. not just take DNA. Yeah. That, but but I, I but if I, the I, altered yeah. DNA is what's causing the actual powers, and the DNA got altered by what she was exposed right. to, then wouldn't the DNA cause powers? Yeah, with, like. I, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I just think that kind of like it could be either one of those things. It's whoever wrote it gets to decide. That is, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you are. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she's just gonna be nerfed. Like in the next whatever thing she pops up in, she's just gonna be nerfed. They're I was just saying that's. that's what I, mean. I think that's I mean, my overall issue with Marvel Witch that Walker, I keep seeing. You know, Scarlet Witch will Walker, Doctor Strange yeah. Walker, uh, Pure Hulk would. We're about to get nasty Hulk. Like and they gave soft, easygoing Hulk. You, everybody knows what the next step is. Fucking playing at Hulk. Like it's about to get really yeah. fucking weird with them. Yeah. yeah. Have you like? Have you looked into? Because um, they're they're about to do Red Hulk and everything with yeah. uh, Harrison Ford Thunderbolts. Yeah. I, Which I don't upset about that. No, I, I love Harrison Ford, but he's not going to last long enough. That's my thing. Anywhere in the fucking movie. But no, I he's, think he's probably going to die in that movie. He, yeah, but like, why? But that makes it just this villain scene that are good and kill him. And- because that's what Marvel does. It's the complaint that my brother-in-law has and that I also have. They bring in all of these yeah. villains and then kill them off in the same movie except for basically Thanos and Scarlet Witch, if you want to look at her as going from hero to villain. Kang. She, and Kang. And Loki. That's because they're... Which is a villain. Yeah, she's battling with some No, I don't think she's dead. Well, we also do know we're getting a Scarlet Witch movie, unless it's a prequel like they did with Black Widow. Like, people are so mad, like, oh, they did her wrong. And I'm like, she died in a really wide shot with a building. Like the only thing I well, the only the only like, thing I say is you can see it down, but, but and you can see another it. flash of red after it's being ripped down in the scene, and then also when in a post interview with Kevin Feige, he kind of beat it around the bush that she may be dead, she may be not, and he refused to confirm anything. So we not that we that know she, the contract yet, and he's like, well, 
Basically. She has an out right now. She yep. wants to not come back. She can't, you know, we're exactly. trying to like, figure out the money situation. I, I <laughs> think yeah. she's going to yeah. come. I think she's going to come back. Therefore, she's not dead. Scarlet Witch is like the most powerful. Do, have you have you read House of M? In everything. No, I haven't. Read House of M sometime. That's good. That's yeah, a, that's that's a good that's, that's one of the series I have read. It's a very good series. I, you've told me a lot about it. That's, that's, that's a good Scarlet Witch story. That's a great Wolverine story. Because Wolverine, yeah, I think the, I, I have some of the issues of House of Man, yeah, but I haven't read. Because Wolverine's the main character, basically, because he's the one that has to get through it all, isn't it? Yeah, because because it's a it's a world in which wasn't there a TV show kind of or one of the Spider Men's went through the House of M. Well, Spider Man's also a, yeah, I know that. I'm just story. I'm reminiscing. Sorry, he uh, she she basically creates a world. It was like a fabricated world where everybody gets everything they've ever wanted. So like Spider-Man's kind of a jock and like still with Gwen Stacy, like she never died. Yeah. And but Wolverine gets all of his memories back. Oh so he remembers the world before she did it. So he's the only one that knows that this isn't real. That's cool. And he has to go and talk to Peter Parker and convince Peter Parker that he's not a jock, that he's this nerdy scrawny kid and his girlfriend that he loves died. <laughs> and for him to believe it, convince him and believe it and to join him in this fight. And it's like really tragic to like yeah. be like, hey, I know you love your life right now, but Basically, this is not your probably, life. It kind of seems what they must have built WandaVision off of. Yeah. Yeah. Well, kind of. Uh, uh, it was definitely inspired by that, but also WandaVision itself was a comic book series. Okay. Uh, that is that, that same kind of like same format of like well, I know the old WandaVision. It's yes, that it's yeah. it's kind of kind of that yeah, because like, that came out like 2015 or 2016 something like that. I just want to. The only thing I'm excited for Miss Marvel is finding out more about Monica Rambo. No. Yeah. Uh, because you know we got introduced to her, and it. since then she's well and not been dropped. But yeah, what? Because then she sure like doesn't she have a couple different names? She's got a couple of different superhero names. Yeah, I don't know where what direction it, it comes out in November. I think it comes out in November. I, yeah, and I'm not sure what direction they're going to go with that. But I'm just ready for some Loki. I am too. Well, that's the next TV show. October. 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 What a wonderful actor, though. Hiddleston is. Yeah. Yeah. Tom Hiddleston's great, man. And I I know all that stuff's going on right now with uh, the guy who plays King. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah Jonathan yeah. Majors. But he's an incredible actor. Well, and it's like he's so October 6th. Loki. Yeah. It's, I think they got him out a little too quick and early, too. Just as the villain, like Kang kind of controls a lot of other villains. Do you want to know my you want to know my theory? What's that? My theory is that Kang is not gonna be the big major villain of this of this big yeah. phase or whatever this big arc. I don't think he's gonna be the major villain. Though one of the last so far that they've revealed one of the last movies of the big arc is gonna be Kang Dynasty. Uh-huh. I don't think that he's going to be the... But but that's the movie right before Secret Wars. Oh, Secret yeah, you're Wars right. The last yeah, you're, you're right. I don't... Have you read the 2015 Secret Wars? No. Okay. I've heard people talk about the, it. Because the, 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 the like, movie is supposed to be heavily influenced video, by that, yeah. that particular Secret Wars. Yes. I love that storyline. And everything that leads into that storyline is the... Um, I'm going to forget his name. But the, the Fantastic Four series that led right into that. Yeah. I... Um, uh, that Fantastic Four series is really good. I'm actually rereading through that right now and then going into Secret Wars. Uh, but that 2015 Secret Wars is an incredible story. But 
the way that it kind of opens is Doctor Strange, Doctor Doom, and Molecule Man are are facing off with the Beyonders, and the Beyonders are like ultimate beings that have yeah, existed yeah. outside of me. the and they're basically the world's or universe is over everything's everything's done yeah and they give the they ask dr strange to take the to take on the powers of god and create a new world and save anybody they can and do it and he refuses he doesn't want that that weight yeah, yeah. so doom takes it Doom becomes becomes God and uses the abilities of Molecule Man to pull all the worlds together and kind of keeps Molecule Man as a prisoner. Okay. Tap into that. Tap into all that energy and do all the the stuff. I think Kang is going to be Molecule Man in the storyline. Oh, you think think Doom Doom I think because Fantastic Four comes out before then, too. I think Doom is going to be the big bad of Secret Wars because it's supposed to be based off of that. Yeah, I think Doom's going to be the big bad, and I think that Kang is going to be the engine that fuels Doom's new universes and worlds. I mean, just because be I don't too, if they were planning, just because I don't know that much. <laughs> yeah, I think Major's an incredible actor. I know, I, I know there's some stuff great. going on, but like he's he's great as Kang. But man, have you have you watched uh, uh, Lovecraft Country? No. Oh man, watch that show. I haven't seen it either. Dude, that I've show is, it, it, it's HBO. And that book, the, it's a really good book. That that show is so good. It's kind of old. Not I don't want to say old, but it's, it's been out. It's been out for a few years. Yeah. yeah. Man, he's good. Just because I don't know anything. Who is Molecule Man? Uh he's kind of an obscure character. He's not, he's not really like a, I was gonna say that's out of all the obscure yeah. ones I've heard, I've not heard of that. He's an obscure character that I mean it's kind of in the name. I mean he's just it, he's I, I honestly replicates himself like he does replicate himself quite a lot, but I don't, I don't, I don't know enough about his backstory, I guess, to explain the character. I know how he's used within that story arc. Okay. I don't know if I know enough about him to really okay. lay him out there. But yeah. uh, I have his action figure over there on the shelf. That, that why do you have an action figure? That comic book man is incredible. Set. So that 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 Secret Wars, I, I there's. I think three different Secret Wars that have happened throughout Marvel's history. Yes, there was original, then there was two, two and then yeah. there was the fifteen redo. Yeah, the the re, the redo is is good. It is a damn good story with like mm-hmm. real awesome lore that they put into it, and like how they match up all the worlds that existed when that came out. Like yeah. Marvel Zombies is like a part of it. Okay, and uh, uh, the Fantastic Four, the way they utilize those characters in it is really like they like build them into the mythology of the new world. That's really cool. But you kind of have to read um, Hickman. It's Hickman's Fantastic Four arc leads okay. into that. And that gives you a way better understanding of what, of why it's happening. But you can just grab Secret Wars and read yeah. it. And if you're a comic book reader, You'll just read the little paragraph in the beginning of it, and you're like, "Sure, I accept all of it because you've told it to me." And then yeah. you're like, <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to know. You're just like, oh, "I'll just read the abridged version and move on." That's yeah. it. <laughs> Maybe I'll sleep all. But but that 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 Secret Wars is like a very incredible like that's Jonathan Hickman. 
and it's it's so good. It's his finale to his entire fantastic oh. and it's what that secret wish is. So I got one more question that has to do with what you do. Um actors that you've worked with, because we really didn't touch we touched on it a little bit. Yeah. Um like is there a specific actor that you look for? Not not name wise, but <laughs> like do you look for styles? Like uh, you probably don't have much to do with casting, but I for undesirables I casted the entire thing. Uh, me, me and Michael, we 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 casted the movie for Macabre Mountain. I had one person that I cast in that film, and everybody else was the production we brought on. But I was like, oh, this girl needs to be in this movie. Um, uh, my my current like, wh- I look for actors that kind of vibe with me who. My my directing style is a little bit hands off, um, where other directors might be a lot more hands on. I f- try to find talent that I know I can talk to and and get to understand what what that character is, and then let them take the character in the direction they see fit. Kind of like unless they're going way off base with it or whatever then i you know i'll i'll step in and give them my thoughts on it but when it comes to actors i i do filmmaking as a collaborative project through and through and the what the actor brings to the table and who they make that character into is you know um, is their own character really but it has to still be cohesive alongside all the other characters in the story that I'm doing. So if somebody's like going way over the top of something or whatever, I have to dial back in, then then I, you know, I dial it back in. But when it comes to the people that I've worked with, I do use a lot of the same people. Uh, uh, if I, if I really like them a lot and I, I think they're really talented. Um, Jackie Kelly is one of the best actresses I've ever worked with. She's incredible. Uh, I saw her in a movie called, um, Tennessee Gothic that played at the State Theater here uh, a couple years ago. Random indie movie that came to town uh, because the guy who did the score for that lived in Kokomo. And so they played it here. It's an awesome movie. You haven't seen it. But it's a great movie. And she just stood out in that movie. I was like, Man, this girl's so good. So I just sent her a message on Facebook and said, hey, I saw you at Tennessee Gothic. I'm making this movie called The Undesirables. I'd love to send you a script and see if you'd read for, for this character. And I actually had her in mind for a different character when I originally started talking to her, I think. And and, and when, like, she was going to play a different character in the movie. Like I had it picked out. And then we had some opportunities for some other people to be involved in the project. And we started shifting the ideas of who could play who and kind of moving some, some of the actors around completely of what it was. And Jackie shifted from what would have been kind of one of the villain-ish characters to the main hero of the story. And I shifted her like into like a the lead role really hard. Uh, and I could be happier. I, I'm so happy that we, we made that decision. Uh, and she's also, she's the one that I brought on to Macabre Mountain as well, because I was like, if we are going to do this movie... I would love to have at least one person because there was there was one character in the script that was like a main character. She's a villain in Wicked Mountain. She's the main villain in Wicked Mountain, basically. But um, uh, 
I brought her on because I knew she could handle that performance. I was like, she's going to be perfect for it. And Felissa had just worked with her on Undesirables. It was like Felissa in that movie as well. Oh, so this, I didn't realize yeah. she was in. Yeah, so Felissa's in Undesirables, and she worked. She shared a scene with Jackie, so she had already met her and loved her. And was like, yes, let's bring, let's bring okay. her. Uh, so Jackie is kind of my go-to for some stuff right now, like this new movie that I'm working on. I've already talked to Jackie about it, kind of pitched her a little bit of the movie, and she's definitely down. But she's an incredible actress, and um, and um, Michael Taylor, incredible actor, writer, and producer. You know, he he's involved in it. Darren, uh, Darren Lee Cup, who's the lead in one of, one of the leads in in. Uh, uh, parallels. Okay. Yes, yeah, uh, long hair. Well, they're all long hair in that movie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all three of the main guys have long hair in that movie. Uh, uh, he's the uh, he's the the very handsome guy. Uh, <laughs> uh, he's uh, he uh, he's also in Idol Girl. He's he's, he's Mateo. Girl, right? oh, okay, yeah. okay. Uh, Dar- Darren's incredible. We've been you know he's he's now been in three of the movies that we've made. He was a, he was an Idol Girl. He's in Undesirables. He's got this kind of a small character in Undesirables, but he's also in a short film that I did uh, that's a romance movie uh, that he plays the uh, kind of like a Hitch-esque character uh, in this romance short that I made. I did a 48-hour film challenge a couple of years ago. Um, and Podcasts I listened to just did that. Yeah. I'm, I'm really bummed because Kokomo just did it last weekend, was it? And I missed it, and I'm really bummed about it. Uh, tonight was the premiere for the movies they made last weekend. And if I'd have known, we'd have totally done it. I, I, I'm just, I'm not on social media a lot these days, so I, I just missed it. But I'm really bummed about it. But the uh, that year, though, we did it. Um, you got 48 hours to make a movie. So Friday night, you show up to the where they lay out the rules of the of it all, and basically you draw a genre and a location. And I drew the coffee shop in Kokomo. I can't think of what it was called, but coffee shop in Kokomo. And I drew romance, which was the only genre that I didn't plan for. I I was driving up there like I got an idea for action, I got an idea for horror, I got an idea for this. Like I'm just like I'm already like I'm bouncing. Like I'm set. It's fine. Romance. Like I didn't think romance being a genre. (laughs) Like shit. What do I do for this? Train and then. Uh, and then I went home 48 hours to make a movie. I spent probably the first 20 hours of that writing the script. I, I, I stayed up all night, we bouncing ideas. I called Michael and was like, Hey, do you got any romance scripts floating around? And, uh, so he pitched me an idea for a, a romance script that he had. And then I, that kind of just spawned an idea and I kind of took his and wrote a thing that was different than what he had pitched me. But it had some similar like foundation, and then so I wrote that script. I cast Darren in it, um, one of Michael's friends, uh, Rochelle, and then my cousin Zach. Uh, I just put out a call on Facebook and was just like, "I need an actor. I need three people for this. I've got two. I need one more." And my cousin's actually like, "I've never acted before, but I'll try it out." I was <laughs> like, All right, let's do it. And uh, and he was the perfect age for like the thing because like the idea that the, the movie is darren's character is like trying to set these two up like no yeah. um but the movie is actually about romance movies it's very meta in the sense of it's a it's him explaining to his friend that he's never gonna 
find somebody once he puts himself out there all the stuff and what he really needs is a meat healer which is a type is a in in romance films there are different types of romance films like romantic comedies and romantic comedies generally revolve around a meat cue which is like two characters that accidentally kind of stumble together in like a cute like oh i you know accidentally touched your yeah. thing or whatever and in that like there's a girl in the coffee shop she's sitting there she's reading dune and the movie's about to come out and so he's telling her hey i know you're obsessed with this this book like there's a girl here reading this book why don't you talk to her and he's like she comes in here all the time she's never with anybody she's got to be single come over there and talk to her and then like the twist of the whole thing is like you find out right in the final moments that uh that was our first time in the coffee shop and he was just giving trying to build his confidence up to like go and talk to her but um we won we won best picture for the 40-hour film oh, for it uh uh and I, I i think i did a great job with that challenge i think i don't know that i we should have won if i were up to me i would have given it to another team uh personally we watched all the movies you know we had some little premiere watched everybody's movies there was one movie and i don't know anybody's names or anybody was involved i wish i did so i could plug them in this but but they uh they made a movie and this is this is why i love filmmaking just like creative like challenges they shot a whole thing and then when they edited it they were like the audio sucks because <laughs> they just like recorded everything in camera because you know like when you record you yeah know, you have you know record audio separate get the mic as close as you can to the, to the people so they just recorded everything i think on their phone and it just sounded like garbage like the hands all over the microphone just like like crap so they dubbed over the whole movie right so they then re re-recorded all the audio and dubbed it over and turned it into kind of a mockumentary about people that tried to make a movie <laughs> And it just delivers. And it was really, really funny. Her cell fucking brilliant. It was super funny because, because like, it was just, you know, everybody, everybody who, who submitted to that challenge were all probably making a movie for their very first time ever making a movie. We came in with a whole damn film crew and made a movie in 48 hours. And I just felt like it wasn't true. <laughs> we won because our movie looked like a real movie. But as far as story, which I always put first, put first, I think that they had a very, creative solution to their original story that didn't work out and they flipped it on its end and made it an even better story and i just thought i, I the whole room was laughing everybody thought that was hilarious it, it, it landed so hard but yeah they they gave it to us which i mean and darren darren got best actor and and, and, and we won best picture and they're like it was great i'm very happy to have won it and it was you know it was a good time but so is darren local Indianapolis. Indianapolis. Okay. He's a dance instructor. He's a dance studio. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. He has a movie uh, called Emerald Forest uh, that uh, he has. I uh, just shot some uh, concept stuff for Flores and Roses in that. And it is a movie that takes place like a thousand years before Dorothy enters Oz. Uh, and it's like Game of Thrones in Wizard of Oz. Oh, wow, that's a concept. Yeah, I like that concept. Is it, uh, is it a horror type movie or? I I probably it it, 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 yeah. is, it stars a ton of people from, um, and I hope I get this right. But it stars a ton of people, like a, a handful of the actors from um, Nightmare on Elm Street Four. Uh, so in in Phyllis and Rose, so there's a lot of horror talents involved in it. Uh, I have read. Uh, a good chunk of the script 
and uh, have been. Uh, he's talked to me a lot about working on the project uh, in various roles, and I haven't had a lot of time to dedicate to it. But now moving forward on it, uh, I think I'm going to end up working on it in some fashion. But it is a. Uh, uh, there's definitely elements where I could see him pushing some horror direction, uh, but he's not directing it. Uh, I'm not sure who the director is of it. I, I I don't know enough about. It. I'm not on social media a lot, but I know he's been pushing it like crazy lately. And uh, it, the stuff that they shot for it looks really good. My Roman, uh, my friend Roman, worked on it. Uh, and yeah, okay. cool. some, some of the stuff that they shot on it was great. They, had, they were able to, they got a soundstage and like some really incredible lighting. They had like a rain machine on a car and they're shooting like dialogue in a car with like all these lights going by and like rainfall on. It was super cool. It, he's got, he's, he's landed himself a really good budget for it. And, uh, and it's going to be something from, so it's, he, it's my, he's he's my friend Michael wrote it too. Okay. So like, he's the one making it then. Yeah. It's Darren, Darren's producing it. Okay. All right. Yeah, he's, pr- cool. he's producing it. He's the lead actor in it. And, uh, uh, it's like my understanding is it's kind of him having a Dorothy experience where he gets pulled into Oz, but it's a thousand years beforehand. Wow, that's a concept. Yeah, that's a pretty cool concept. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. Uh, that's cool. Yeah, it, yeah. His his that's it's got some really cool cool stuff in it. Like he we, he just shot concept stuff for that. We just shot concept stuff for Becca's new movie. We're shooting next year. Uh, Rebecca has a film called Thirsty Thursday. I'm not exactly allowed to talk about it necessarily about what it's about, but it's 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 like it's four girls getting together for their high school reunion, and some horror stuff happens. <laughs> I can't really talk about like talk about it yet, right? But we just shot a bunch of concept stuff for that, so we'll expect to see that in the nearest future too. And you'll you'll see a. Some concept stuff that we shot. Cool. That, so it should be very cool. We did a lot of really fun stuff for that. I'll too, definitely so. be excited for that. Yeah. yeah. So that, that's the next big project on the horizon is, is Rebecca's movie. Um, I've got Parallels came out this year. Um, Kill Dolly Kill came out this year. Uh, uh, I've got Macabre Mountain coming out. Undesirables will come out in the spring. And then we'll be shooting. Uh, Thursday, Thursday next summer. We'll be shooting Placid Park next summer. That's Roman's movie, uh, and then potentially shooting Emerald Forest next next year too. So, okay. So this might be a little bit of a hard question to ask, but so you brought up like Parallels came out this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, where can we watch a lot of these movies that you've worked on, been a part of, know people that have, you know what I mean? Right. A lot of the movies because like when we were trying to. I only got to see Idol Girl because I had a hard time finding a lot of these right. movies. Parallels isn't available right now on distribution yet. Uh, it's it came out in the spring. We had our premiere for it at Cincinnati Horror Hound, uh, and then it just played Popcorn. Right now, it's just festival circuit, so it's only playing at festivals. Getting picked up on right now, it's just those two that it's played at. I think we got picked up on another one, but it is. I'm not sure which one it is, but I do think we have, we were picked up on another film festival. You can let me know by the time I edit this. I'll put it in the description. <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, some of our shorts are available online, like the romance ones available on on like uh, I think it's just on my on the Brandon Hewitt Facebook page, or it's it's on Darren's YouTube channel actually. I know it's on that. Um, uh, June's on our on our on our Brandon Hewitt page. Island Girls, you know. Amazon Prime. Um, uh, 
And I think that's all that you can really find. You can get DVDs and stuff if you go to like the horror convention. Some of the stuff that we've made is just like sold, like like self distributed stuff. Okay, um, a lot of it's that. Uh, now I will say, and I don't know how bad this is, but I know some people found them on like Vimeo and stuff like that. How do you feel about that? I know I don't know how like like the like like the like um. I know that I got linked a couple of the full-length movies on Vimeo. I know that's... Vimeo or on, like... Like, the link was to Vimeo. For which one? Uh, Specifically, Slaughterhouse and Wars. Okay. 2.5. Yeah, so those ones are distributed through... uh, I was going to say, I'm trying... I didn't want to be too much about piracy. (laughs) Uh, I... The piracy side of things is is weird on the on the indie side because on the indie like I don't give a shit if you want to watch if you want to watch whatever Marvel movie pirate whatever movie like I don't I don't care do your thing I I generally speaking, I, I just say because I feel bad because I would like to give money to right, these indie creators right I, I, I'm just saying like when it comes to, like big major studio stuff I don't care do whatever you do and I used to tour stuff all the time uh, but it became easier just to pay for it. <laughs> that's how they battled piracy is like well it's just easier just to stream things now like just put it on a platform you'll probably just either get a free trial to watch it or or you know like, yeah whatever it's like almost easier to do it that way um but by all means on the piracy thing i don't care but when it comes to the indie stuff um i do know that like don't fuck in the woods uh concept media's movie that movie he has like a he has a way to track piracy on it and that movie has been pirated over two million times. And if everybody would have paid a dollar, he'd be a millionaire. <laughs> but to me, also, that just shows that if it's been pirated two million times, even though I guess that's not a he legal method to use. He used those numbers to sell Don't Fuck in the Woods. Too. All right, that's what I was about to say. <laughs> I was like, I don't know if that's really legal metrics to yeah. use, but you can use those metrics. No, for, for his distribution for Don't Fuck the Woods too, he was like, look, this movie has been, this is how many views we had, basically, you know? Like, it's been pirated this many times. Like, this movie has has a uh, has a fan basis. There are people that are excited about the sequel coming out. Like, he used, I know for a fact, he used his piracy numbers to up his percentages on his his distribution sale. That's like, cool. So I have seen, I like scenes where piracy he, helps. Yes, also. but he also is also still tracking the piracy numbers on Don't Fuck the Ones 2, and he's pirated all the time. He, like, that is a movie that he is... He should have went Don't Fuck in the Woods, like, like, uh, never fuck in the woods, yeah. Like, stop fucking like, <laughs> fuck in the woods strikes back, like, return of fuck in the woods. <laughs> All right, Star Wars, fuck. <laughs> like, he could have, I mean, he could have done like, you know, well, fuck in the woods, well, dead game, but the <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> In the woods is it's a movie that people told him he was like really stupid for calling it that because you're like you're never gonna get distribution I'm calling it like don't fuck in the woods. You can buy that movie at Barnes and Noble. <laughs> like, <laughs> like it is, like it is, like like it, on the on the case, like the word fuck is is blocked out, like it's got a censor thing over it. But people like it, it is. I mean, it, you know what it says. Yeah, but but that is like the most clever title. You could come up with for a horror movie. Like every movie is kids fucking in the woods. Like that's like what the what's like so somebody can't it's build up one of a horror movie. Don't yeah. fuck in the woods. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like, I mean they could have could have totally gotten away with calling Nightmare on Elm Street, don't fall asleep. 
Right. You know, I mean, yeah, it's like, it's like, uh, yeah, like Friday so, the 13th, don't fuck in the woods. Don't fuck in the woods. Yeah. Yeah, that, that makes total sense. No fucking house. Yeah. <laughs> right. Don't answer the phone. Yeah. Don't answer the phone. In Don't Fuck in the Woods 2, they won an award from the Mr. Skin website. If you're familiar with Mr. Skin? <laughs> yeah. Uh, they, they All right. How am I the young kid that doesn't know the website? Because you grew up with pornography already around. When we, when we were growing up, Mr. Skin was where you could you could look up and see like you know celebrity. Okay, okay. It's so you're talking dial-up times. It's, it's celebrity. It's celebrity poor. It's celebrity nude scenes in movies. Yeah. Mr. Skin is like Mr. a collection Skin. of all of those things. Okay. You're saying knocked up. <laughs> also, like, I said dial-up <laughs> times. I did grow up with dial-up. Let me let me not date myself that fucking young. Mr. Skin gave Don't Fuck in the Woods too. Best slug plug of the year. Located at 430 East Broadway in beautiful downtown Logansport on the bonus level, the second floor of Bonus Pints, is Savini Comics. Savini Comics has all your toys, gaming, and comic needs. We have Dungeons and Dragons. We have Magic the Gathering. We have Pokemon. We have Disney Lorcana. We have Marvel and DC comic books. We have Marvel and DC figures. We have Star Wars. We have wrestling. Come join us at Savini Comics for all your gaming, toys, and comic book needs. There's a there's a creature that worms its way into a place on a woman that wasn't very savory, and he got they got an award for it because it's a very graphic uh, special effects and. Uh, and they won an award for that. It like I think it says it on the case now, like best slug plug. <laughs> Mr. Skin Ted. Jesus. Oh my god. god. That it's a how would you like to be that one that does the special yeah, effects for that? That special effects guy. Yeah. At least it wasn't practical I wonder, effects. I wonder if it's the guy that did the slugs for Harry Potter. <laughs> It's it's weird. I was listening to a podcast the other day, and um, they were discussing media. And uh, one of the guys said, I went out this weekend and bought a bunch of 4K movies. And they started, the other two guys started laughing at him. And they were like, why'd you buy 4K movies? And he's like, because I have a 4K TV. And he's like, but do you own the blue the Blu-ray and the DVD? Like, why were you buying DB? Like, why? And he goes, well, it's not the same thing. And he goes, what do you mean it's not the same thing? He goes, it's 4K. It's like, I bought a 4K movie because I have a 4K TV. Like, 4K is not the same as Blu-ray. And he's like, what do you mean it's not? And he goes, well, DVD is not the same as Blu-ray, right? And he goes, yeah. And he goes, well, 4K is not the same. So he got this whole argument. And then he's like, and then the other guy that was arguing against buying not buying media, but buying discs, was like, I'm so, like, in a place where, like, if my DVDs are in a different room, I will just look it up on iTunes and buy it for $3.99, rather than get up and dig for a DVD and then put it in a player. I'm like, I'll just buy... The movie. If I if I own a movie on DVD, I will first 
search to see if it's streaming on anything. Well, that's not shit. Okay, it's not going to have a DVD and I'll watch it. I don't own any, basically anything physical, which sucks for me now living in the country because I got bit the fucking ass. Yeah. With yeah. Oh, I... Let me put it this way. I don't even get a megabyte down. Yeah. The, uh, My ping's 9,000. Uh, That's not exaggerating. The I, There's like a really strong argument for physical media, uh, especially when I was talking about earlier about like movies no longer making any kind of sale. You know, they can't right. count on any kind of physical media sales anymore. Um, when it comes to the business side of it, there's definitely like physical media... They phased it. They the, the industry phased it out themselves, but um, but now hurt from it. Uh, but there are certain movies that you can't find uh, that, that that never got the 4K treatment. They never got DVD treatment. Like there, there are movies like that you can't find anymore. Um, most recently, I've been trying to watch Surf Ninjas, and I just cannot find it anywhere. Dude, well, Dogma's stuck in a rights issue. That's yeah, a great oil. <clears throat> Dogma's stuck, stuck in a rights issue? Yeah, you can't find it anywhere. And then die. Am I the only one that doesn't know what the fuck Dogma is? Yeah, Kevin, Kevin Smith, Smith movie. Yeah, Kevin Smith. It's Kevin Smith's best movie. All right. Take a second to Google. Yeah, I, yeah. Every time you yeah. guys have brought up Kevin Smith, I yeah, don't even know if I know who you're although, talking uh, about. Although Clerks 2, Clerks 2 is right up there. Also, you guys keep bringing up Clerks. 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 I haven't seen Clerks. I mean, I'm all right. Does it? Mark is smart. so good. Does it? Um, I'm going to say, can you stream it anywhere? Clerks 3? Yeah. Um, oh, Jesus. So. The only reason I know Clerks is from the clip of uh, what you call a broken beer bottle. And that's because a podcast I know referenced it. Oh, yeah. That whole scene. Yeah. I, uh, I'm a, I'm a huge, like, Clerk, Clerks 3 is But now I know who Kevin Smith is. is Sorry. Which is why it's so good. So, but, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I haven't seen Clerks 3 because I haven't been able to find it. It, like, didn't come out in the theaters here. Yeah, you had to go to Indianapolis or Chicago to see it. Yeah, and, uh, and it has. They were touring it. If you yeah, went to see it, you, they were there. Yeah, yeah, if you had seen it, Kevin Smith or watched it, I had gave Kevin Smith a hug. I picture, Did you? I have a picture of him. I, um, him and Jason Mewes. I got a picture with Jason Mewes. I don't, I've never met Kevin Smith, but I have met, met Jason Mewes. I feel Mewes. like I'd like to meet Jason Mewes first. I'd rather pick him up if I had to get one of the parries. No, I like Kevin Smith's shit more. Kev- Kevin I just feel like I could interact with Jason Hughes better. Yeah, Kevin Smith was—he was super nice. I mean, it, we just did a photo op thing at a con- you know at a convention. Yeah, so it was like thirty seconds or whatever. But like, he gave us both a hug, and uh, Rebecca thanked him for being there. And for like spending his energy with all these people all day, how exhausting that must be. And he like kind of teared up for a minute. He was like, thank you for saying that. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and then immediately after, I watched a podcast uh, with him on his Batman on Batman podcast. Yeah, I watched and it every now I watched it immediately the next, like his next episode. And he was uh, talking about San Diego Comic Con was coming up in that, in that time frame. This was last year. City of Comic Con was coming up, and his co-host on there, Mark Bernardin, uh, was saying that he was like, ah, oh, man, I'm totally going to get COVID when we go. And then Kevin Smith was like, oh, are you still worried about that? I just hugged everybody at the Chicago Fan Expo. He's like, <laughs> <laughs> 
And I thought, I'm getting COVID today. It's like, worth it. Okay. Yeah, we, I say we met Jason, uh, my wife and I met Jason Muse in Indianapolis. She bought tickets. We were front row for his stand up. And then we had a meet and greet afterwards. Um, but I haven't met Kevin Smith. So I would love to do a Kevin Smith Q&A. That would be fantastic. And, and, and this is totally off topic, but speaking of movies and Q&As, um, uh, Kari or Carrie Payton Ells. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Is, um, doing a watch of the princess bride in Wabash. Oh, really? Yeah. What is that? Um, yeah, I'm not. I'm not actually a huge Princess Brad fan. Oh, okay. uh, but I got totally. I would go just because he's there. Yeah, he's uh, doing. It's a. I don't know when it is. I think it's February, maybe. Hey, but you should go bring a bottle of tequila. And anytime somebody says the fucking Indigo Montoya line, we just take a shot. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully it's on a weekend, but I'll go just because it'll be the first time I'll ever have watched that movie. Oh, yeah. So it's February 10th, Saturday, 730 to 1030, Princess Whoa. Bride. As long as an watch- inconceivable evening. Can we get him to watch Robin Hood Minute Tides of Street? <laughs> yeah, I'd almost rather watch that one See, than as long- I love the Prince of Bride. See, as, long as, our, uh, as long as our lovely workplace doesn't make me work that Saturday, yeah. I, I'll try to be there. Yeah, this is a um uh join him for a behind the scenes look at life on and off the set, the Princess Bride after the screening of the iconic film. He'll engage in a moderated discussion revealing never-before-shared secrets, tales of inconceivable antics. So, yeah. Yeah. I was like, I was like, that might be really interesting. And then my next thought was, I wonder if he'd do something like that at, like, The State or Mary Max. Yeah. Likely, man. I mean, a lot of those people are, like... Start looking at conventions and see who goes. Like, see, see, yeah. see who the regular guests are. Because he's a regular guest at oh, yeah. all those conventions. Yeah. But, like, look up at, look at the Horror Hounds and, and, and uh, Comic-Cons and stuff in the area and see what guests come to this area and, and try to piggyback off one of those. Like, if they're already going to be at Indianapolis Comic-Con, piggy, try and piggyback out of the day. Here's, here's the thing, because I tried to do that, and I won't say his name, but I tried to do that for a convention that's up north and um they sign agreements that they won't oh really yeah yeah they can't if they can't do it the same way they, they can't do it the same weekend Not smart well, that, well he also <laughs> in the same sentence said like for reference next like you know do it near that next weekend well, just, well a lot of them like they're flying in for the I weekend guess that's true. yeah so like they can't and and I asked about a Friday because they were doing a convention on a Saturday and a Sunday, and they said we can't do the Friday because we're doing the Saturday and Sunday. Mm-hmm. We're not allowed. So I was like, all right, that's fine. So so I thought about that idea, but when they had that, and then I, I've heard through asking some other people that that's normal. Like they, they're not allowed to go. Right. It makes sense. Yeah. So I'm not, yeah, it makes, it makes total sense. So, 
you know, it, it is what it is. But yeah, but if you look at those people who, who do those conventions, it gives you an idea of who you could probably get over here, though. Right. As far as like the you know the level of celebrity or whatever, we gotta get Biff. We gotta get Biff. He's gonna be in Elkhart. <laughs> <laughs> he is. He is. He is. Or well, Griff, yeah. whoever you prefer. Yeah, I have been yeah. Biff for a long time. Yeah. Hopefully, I will have seen at least one of those movies. Yeah, we need own. to like have like we need to do. We need to watch the movies. We need to hey. go through your list of movies that you haven't seen in much more. You need to be So, hey, do you want to just start? Do I need to just start a notepad now? Yeah. 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 We need to start with like Back to the Future and Goonies. Do you know that? <laughs> I gotta I'm just <laughs> estimating, estimating off the top of my head what I've heard are like staple movies that everyone should watch that I have not watched. And going off the amount of free time everybody has, it would easily take us probably three years to get through. <laughs> I'm not exaggerating that. I've seen not so little movies, but yeah. so little like what people call cultural movies or like big movies or whatever. Forrest Gump, Goonies, Back to the Future, fucking... You watch Fatal Attraction? Don't know what that is. <laughs> It's a world shaper. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it'll give you a different perspective, I'll tell you. Shit. Off the top of my head, and I reference it all the time, you can ask Kyla and Tyler, because they hear, they bitch about it. I reference uh, Robin Williams' uh, Weapons of Mass Destruction and whatever the other one that you had, uh, that those two stand-ups. Yeah. Me and Dakota watch those night after night, every single <laughs> night. I think for almost a year straight. Yeah. Like, I almost have them memorized in my fucking head. <laughs> That's how little of, like, actual movies and more yeah. of just bullshit I watched. Yeah. I, my employee referenced the other day, was like, what's in the box? And I was like, do you know what's in the box? <laughs> he was like, he was like, what? I was like, do you know what's in the box? I was like, what do you mean? I was like, the movie that that's from, Seven, do you know what's in the box? I have seen Seven. I made sure, like, I had yeah, no idea what was in the box. Well, you should watch that movie and then tell me. And then, yeah, then tell me about the head that's in the box. Yeah. Yeah. So, are you, um, so, okay. Yeah, yeah I mean, you told us everything i think you could about your new projects and yeah we got stuff coming out i don't we're gonna look forward to not it, to sure. prolong anything how's the business doing i know you talked about it a little bit but I, yeah or the movie making <laughs> well, sorry sorry my bad which yeah the computers the computer logan store logan, logan tech logan tech's doing really good yeah, i was gonna say yeah. you know plug that i know we didn't we talked about it here and there yeah. yeah, no, it's, it's it's doing really good. Uh, last week was crazy, man. We we're super busy, but um, yeah, it's doing good. We're in the process of getting a podcast studio together in the back of it. Yeah, so yeah, we hope we might be able to. I was gonna say, I know move we've all talked about that, that at some point. That would be cool. Hopefully, cool. help increase production value. Yeah, 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 man. yeah. That'd be Great. fantastic. And any extra podcasts that you need us to help out with, we can do that too. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. 
So, okay. I think we're ready to wrap up. I think it's late. That's for yeah. good. It's definitely a long so, one yeah. today. So, yeah. Tomorrow. Yeah, so this has been... <laughs> This has been a really long episode that'll probably be cut into two parts, if I had to guess. But um, it does, I guess it doesn't have to be. You could listen to it in two parts. But this has been, uh, yeah, this has been Pints and Pages with Tony Walters. Um, I appreciate you coming yeah, and talking with us and and uh, and uh, letting us talk to you and uh, about movies and different things like that. So. Anytime. I love talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I'm Nick. I'm Brad. I'm Levi. And uh, we'll see you next time.